Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, February 3rd, 2024. Thank you for joining me today. As always, never a shortage of things to get into. And today's pretty multifaceted. Today we're going to get into a lot of different topics. And the title itself is pretty broad for that reason because there's a lot of different ways that the, the conversations we're going to have today overlap. Now we're going to talk about in it to start out a little bit about misinformation and an interesting bill, a law that was passed in, in the UK and how that relates to the more, more than one of the conversations we'll have today. And, you know, in particular about something that the U S residents are very aware of the Smith Munt modernization act and how that applies to the same conversation we're going to talk about, in particular, a couple of little notes about Twitter and, and one quick point about transgender conversation that the topic they're in that I wanted to make sure you didn't miss because there's so many larger discussions happening right now. There's a lot of movement in some of these other topics that have drifted into the background that I want to make sure you guys saw that it's in line with everything we've already been reporting, but it's important to see. Follow up on the attacks exactly as if you've been following, like we predicted, like two to a T what would happen. And I'll have a, I have a great clip. Actually, I was playing uh, at the beginning of the rumble video of a CIA an analyst or ex CIA analyst, basically telling you why that is in regard to, you know, blustering about Iran, but then bombing Iraq and Syria and claiming those are Iran militias. And there's obvious connections between the PMU, which is what they're bombing and Iran, but it's not what they're saying it is. And that's why Iran typically goes, okay, well, that's not us and we're not going to respond to that. And when they do respond, it's always in the way that the U.S. pretends they're responding, which is deterrence to demonstrate what they can do in a way that's not going to demand a response. And, you know, what we're seeing here is weakness, to put it very simply, acting as if you're strong in ways with, you know, technical strength and, and military might, but in the ways that you're showing your weakness, that that's all you really have. And uh, we'll go through what's really happening there and why it's it, just an example of the diminishing clout and, and international influence that the U.S. government has today. We'll talk about, importantly, other strikes on Yemen that just happened, which I'm really, I just, I'm baffled that, I'm shocked that keeps happening because of how little benefit it seems to be giving them, which shows you that there's clearly some other entity driving these actions. A couple of quick points on Ukraine. And an interesting point about China and the border that I want to make sure we talk about, and probably not in the way you might think. And of course, to finish a very, a lot about, I want to get you get updated as I will continue to do on what's going on in Gaza and a couple of other interesting points, but not as in depth as we have been over the last couple of days because of a lot of other foreign policy points. But interestingly enough, as I will relate it to a Saudi Arabia discussion, there's an Israeli, a son of an Israel of an Israeli diplomat who ran over a Miami cop, and it was now about to be released because of his father's position and the immune, the diplomatic immunity granted therein, which there is no stretch of the imagination where that should overlap to traffic accident of, the, of a son of a diplomat, but this is the abuse of the powerful. Interestingly enough, there's a lot of conversation about migrants and immigrants or, you know, that were a seemingly just blanket statement are all illegal today, even though that's not always the case hitting somebody with a car, which, of course, no matter what happens, that's a crime, no matter whether you're a resident or not. And, of course, if you're there illegally, whether you hit someone or not, you should be deported. The point, though, is that there's far less outcry about something like this, which just always shows you that there is politics overlaying most of what we're dealing with. 
But important stuff we're going to get into regarding Israel and just the horrific situation there and how important this is to all, pretty much all of these other conversations. Now, I want to start off by making sure you guys saw something I recently shared. There's a new platform. I was recently speaking with the CEO of BitChute today about this and just how I can utilize this. And I really do believe in what they're doing and the, and the effort they've taken. And it's sort of the same way that I talk about Sovereign. I, as I understand it, they're working on their live streaming, but it, it's that they've taken a lot of negative hits for doing what I would see as doing this the right way. You know, not bowing to pressure of censorship. I mean, not in every way. I mean, obviously there's, I'll always have criticisms, but I, in the, the way that it went down, it seems like it was just a, in my opinion, a platform trying to do what the best they can within a broken system. If you, if you understand, you know, that better to be here in a way as, as opposed to being completely gone, but either way, that they have stood their ground in a lot of different ways, as we all know. I mean, the, as I, I actually said this on the show on the phone today, that the one thing that everybody seems to be aware of is that, you know, it's it's pretty pretty tough there. You know, the comment section is going to be riddled with horrible things. Frankly, part of it, I think, is because people want to make this platform look bad. But either way, it's free speech. So it's amazing that that, that should be, you know, praised. There are, of course, bad opinions, but it's not Bitchute's fault that people want to express those opinions, right? Either way, the point is that I, I do think BitChute's doing some some good work in the direction of free speech, and now they have a platform that's, that's essentially a Patreon alternative. And so I, I wanted to give it a shot. So I'm one of the earlier adopters on this, and it does seem to be pretty solid. And I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to check it out. So if you want to support us, you can do recurring payments and all the same stuff you could do on Patreon. And as you'll appreciate, I said here, it's like Patreon, but this one won't censor you and steal all your money. You know, <laughs> that's that's the positive. But uh, here is the platform itself, kind of set up in the same way, different levels you can sign up for, um, you know, and a community engagement. And, and apparently it's going to build out, overlap with the platform itself. So we'll see, you know, as the, the new platforms always have glitches here and there. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. But either way, here's one more way if you'd like to support us that you can. Now, I wanted to start today with the recent interview that we put up today that Derek Bros had with Dr. Philippe Grandjean. And it's a really, I mean, what I told Derek on the phone, I said, it's just, it's so crazy to me that th this should be, no matter who covers it, the fact that he's saying this on the record with his standing should be worldwide news because, well, specifically U.S. news because there's plenty of places that don't even allow fluoride anymore, but that this should be huge news. And I'll play, I'm going to go over some of it right now. But yet, nonetheless, of course, as always, this gets drifted into the background. So many people that are, you know, fronting as important news representatives don't care about certain things that don't fit certain political paradigms. And that's always what I'm screaming about, which probably to the frustration of people that like what we do, but still fall into the paradigm for some reason. But this is important work. What he's talking about is not, it's, I mean, I'm allowed to speak for itself, but it's, it's, he's a very credentialed and he's the editor of, of, a, of, a, of a medical journal. He's a, he's a professor, you know, and, and has worked at Harvard with the WHO and different overlaps and no longer does. And you'll hear why, but that fluoride is dangerous for you. Now, Derek is on day three, I believe of covering the trial. There's been some pretty important stuff that's been said, but we're, we're, he, we're going to, he's going to be coming out with an overview of what's happened so far. Like we did on day one, probably tomorrow, I think are coming up. But the point is that it's really going to matter the most once this culminates, which is what we really hope is going to happen there. And as I forgot to grab as well, I'll grab this for you in case you'd like to continue to support this, because I get the sneaking suspicion that there's going to be more to this after the fact. Covering the culmination of the fluoride trial, you can support our work here. 
to keep Derek there and covering what's going on. He's gotten some great interviews already, as you can see here. Doctor Who, I believe he's going to be doing some more coming up soon with some of the prominent characters a lot in this whole topic. But it's just such an important discussion here. And I want you to understand how this could change a lot of things, not just the fact that it could remove a very dangerous neurotoxin from your water, but also that it will cement the reality that they knew it was bad. That not only that they, you know, that they fought to keep, or rather, I've kind of said it backwards, but that they, they knew it was bad. They've maintained this. And now at this moment are actively, and this is the one, the way I want people to see this. They're fighting to keep what they know is dangerous in your water. It really just continues to blow my mind as much as we know these things. It doesn't shock me, but that it's so on the surface because the draft report has already been leaked. And the NTP, which is the National Toxicology Program as a government entity, is, have for years has been saying this report is done. It's been done. You guys are dragging your feet. And it says everything we're saying. It's pretty important. So we'll get in. We'll, next, after this, we're going to get into, as I said, the UK as in this together, Ian Davis points out that you live in a dictatorship if you live in the UK and it's about misinformation. And I think it's because, you know, it's things like this, that laws like that are being passed and really actually just cut to the chase. We'll get to the law they're discussing as off guardian goes over is about, you know, that you can be, it's illegal to spread in for misinformation. And we know how that game is played, but the important part is except the corporate media can. And it's not even hype. That's not even pair. That's exactly what it says. It's crazy that they just write it out. <laughs> They're allowed to lie to you. And we know why for national security. That's the Smith Munt Modernization Act. And if you don't know that, we're going to come back to it in a second. But that's important for this because it's stuff like this that laws like that are passed to keep from your view. So let's get into this clip. The full interview is over 20 minutes, but I think I've got about seven minutes of stuff that I want to share just clips from that. And more will be coming. So keep an eye out for all that. Philippe Canchin, uh, I'm a physician and professor at the uh, University of Southern Denmark and research professor at the University of Rhode Island. And when we merge all the findings, we can see that there is a tendency the higher the fluoride exposure during fetal life, that is, from the mother's exposure the greater the uh, loss in IQ at school age. And um, it, it, it's like um, the overall average is that for each milligram of additional fluoride, the child will lose two IQ points. I mean, really think about that for a second. And, he, he's, and this is over the level. Right. So not just in general, but once over this level, which is the accepted level, one IQ or two IQ points for every milligram. I mean, am I crazy in thinking that is like the wildest thing like that is. And, and this is scientifically this is the scientific work in his studies and his research. And this is what they're for, trying to get out through this process. This is known. And that's what the, the report shows. He's just giving you more specific metrics based on his own work. So think about that, especially when, as Derek rightly points out in this interview, they, there are not, it's not, and this is what in the actual trial at the moment seems to be being put off because of the pressure by the EPA, which makes no sense to me because it's obviously relevant, that you get it more than just water. The food, your toothpaste, showering, tea, drinks. I mean, it, it's just, it's all over the place. So his point that he responds to in this is that it's not that hard in the way that our world works to be able to get that much over the top. So it's a, it's a foregone conclusion. They are lowering the IQ of children more than anybody. And I think we can see that. 
I think that's just absolutely staggering to me. That is certainly, according to our findings, is associated with a loss in cognitive function, that is, an IQ of the baby um, and the child as we examined at school age. So in addition to IQ, just neuro- the, 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 your functions in general. Now, and for the podcast, since you can't see the, the white in between, this was definitely broken down and edited from my side. So you guys can you know get the clips. So just know that, that this isn't a, a full flowing of him talking. It's cut in between, but there's no context missing in the points that he's being, that are being made. And the full clip, as always, will be down below for you guys to check out. Um, in the first phase of the trial, when you testified in back in 2020, there was some discussion about one of your studies um, that also found similar conclusions about fluoride being a neurotoxin. And if I'm reading this correctly, if I remember this correctly, you stated that um, you were coerced by a colleague at the Harvard Dental School to sort of sign a statement that sort of downplayed the significance of your study. Could you speak to that incident? To understand uh, fluoride better, we um, carried out uh, a joint analysis of all of the publications uh, we could find that related to early life exposure to fluoride and uh, brain function uh, in childhood. And that got published in a journal that's put out by the National Institutes of Health. And when that was published, uh, a professor from Harvard University... Just really quickly, I'll pull back just a second. Make sure you hear that. So just, I guess that that's a good moment for those that haven't seen the full interview to recognize that he's publishing through the National Institute of Health, right? So this is not some fringe platform or some random person on some blog or however like to frame this. This is a person who is respected, who has clout in this community, who is, before he, in many ways decided to stand with the truth around this topic that the science backs up. He was working through the National Health, through WHO, so just recognize that. National Institutes of Health, and when that was published, uh, a professor from Harvard University uh, came to my office this is wild. and asked me to sign a statement that my work on fluoride had nothing to do with fluoridation. Think about that. So you're telling me you published something. He didn't contact anybody. This guy just gets wind of this through whatever public publication channel, seeing it published, you know, whatever journals he's looking at online, goes to his office personally and asks him to sign a document to state that the obvious isn't the obvious, that this work about fluoride has nothing to do with fluoridation. Are you serious? Like, doesn't that scream dishonesty? Why would he do that? Like, you could argue to make it fair, objective, that maybe he feels so strongly that fluoridation in the water is that important for your dental, I mean, you're having good dental health, I guess, which is not even accurate. It's about specifically the whiteness of your teeth, and I've even proven that dental fluorosis is really what happens, which is not a positive thing. But either way, the point is that he may feel so motivated to think that fluoride in your water is good, is so important for dental health, that he would go and make sure that this person signed the document that says what the opposite of what his work says, really, because that's really the point. I mean, that's almost, I would be, I would be weirded out by that. Like, who is driving this? Where is the intention coming from? These are all my opinions. Now, let's, what, hap let's what happens next. 
and um, he he actually uh, wrote this draft. I, I still have a, have it in in my possession. I'd love to see that. And since I didn't uh, sign this immediately, he instead went to my dean and uh, had the dean sign a statement that he supported uh, water fluoridation in accordance with the policy of the Centers for, for Disease, Disease Control, CDC. Uh, my dean had not yet seen my publication on fluoride, and therefore he had no concern uh, signing it. That's just straight-up manipulation. As if you could later look, point back and say, oh, but his boss signed this, therefore it supersedes. He didn't even know what the work was at that point. Like this is this is the whole thing we're trying to show people. There is an intentional on the surface, like willful awareness to try to suppress the reality. Not because that's I mean, I'm sure there's a level where people think that this fluoride is needs to be protected because it's good for you. But we can prove there's a level of this that is wildly more nefarious than that. And again, at the best this at this point, even with their science, you can only argue that it helps your teeth. And you're and that's worth like, I've made this joke many times. Our government is unwilling to pay for near anything, yet they're going to spend money to put this in your water for your teeth, but but they won't spend money for so many other wildly important things that are far more important to your immediate health. I mean, come on, because your white teeth are important. I just don't know why anybody actually believes that, especially since the science continues to prove that it's not the case, that it's actually dangerous for you. Um, and later on, I was told by uh, the leadership at, at Harvard that uh, my research on, on fluoride uh, was unwanted and had never been approved by Harvard. Wow. So um, be, because we, we couldn't agree on my, what I would consider academic freedom, right. uh, I left Harvard. So he left Harvard because they wouldn't allow him to research what he would want to, which is usually how this works. Right, the illusion of the of academic freedom, and this is despite the fact that his science is sound. No one's acting like his work was un, unbalanced or in, illegitimate. They just were trying to oppress that, even though you show it's dangerous, that has nothing to do with the with using that very same thing in your water. Because that makes sense. And another statement you made in 2020, you said that the fluoride lobby, uh, in quotes, had infiltrated the World Health Organization committee uh, and that they were seeking to exclude any mention of harmful effects of fluoride. Could Man. you speak to that, your experience or your involvement or awareness of the, for lack of a better term, fluoride lobby influencing the WHO? I mean, should that be gigantic news? I would think so. My experience with fluoride actually goes back many years because uh, the World Health Organization asked me to help them develop what they called an environmental health criteria document on fluoride. So I drafted... Uh, so the WHO deems him such an expert on the topic that they ask him to write the draft for their over the work that will be used going forward in general. So you can't pretend like he can be dismissed as he was the guy until he d started pointing out that this is dangerous. That document that reviewed uh, the sources of fluoride in the environment, including drinking water, uh, the animal data, and the epidemiology, uh, and um, 
WHO then called a working group to develop the final version of that based on my draft. And what happened was that um, the working group uh, had, I think it was a majority of uh, people with uh, dental um, research backgrounds. Of course. <laughs> and um, they inserted changes in my draft indicating that fluoride could perhaps be toxic, but only at immense uh, concentrations. So that's not nefarious at this point, other than the fact that they're not following the science, because that's what the whole point is. Here's a draft, and then we're going to fine-tune this, right? But it's what comes next that makes it obvious that they know, when he makes it clear to tell them, and they're acknowledging that it doesn't follow the science, and they want to do it anyway. And um, when I... Um, protested and said that, that in the in accordance with the scientific documentation, it would be wrong to insert the word immense. And so um, uh, the working group uh, asked me to kindly go to the library and and bring the documentation back. And so I, I said, under the circumstances, I could not take responsibility for being part of the authorship. So I would rather leave the WHO meeting, which I did. It's the only time I've ever done that. But I was confronted with colleagues from the dental uh, science uh, and, and they insisted on changes that I found scientifically inappropriate. And so uh, WHO published a document and uh, without my name, be because I'd asked to have my name stricken, but, but then they inserted uh, some other colleague's name um, as the author of the draft, which, which is, of course, erroneous or a lie <laughs> i mean he's just being very polite he obviously he conducted the draft if you didn't they didn't use a new one they just put somebody else's name on it like these people are dishonest that's my opinion but i think that's pretty clear but that was where who felt was necessary to protect in their order agenda. to protect the interests of water fluoridation. Wow. I, I think it's important um, for the public to know that uh, they have to retain a little bit of skepticism. Yes. We, we're trying to be objective in science. I, I, I believe that, that I am, but, but sometimes when my findings are counter to other interests, then uh, unfortunately there will be uh, counteraction, so to speak, and uh, that may not be understood by the public that, uh, <laughs> that there's really something going on here which is beyond science but has to do with the applications of that particular science. We, we can't be sure that 100% of what's published as science is necessarily correct. And fluoride uh, and 
Well, I mean, there, there are lots of examples like PFAS or mm. lead where, where there, there has been uh, so-called scientific publications that were really rather a matter of marketing. Wow. Now, you know, I personally find that to be very, very important. I'm not sure how you guys feel in general, but, you know, and, and as always, as I've made clear, I will always follow what I think is the most important with your influence, of course, because it matters to me. But something about that, obviously, I mean, just the reality of the fact that it's a big lie, that it's in everybody's water, that's lowering IQ of children, and that they're fighting to maintain it when they know that, that should be big no matter what you're talking about. But I get the sense that people are finding this like old, you know, but it won't stop me from covering what I think is important. But I'm still curious. What do you guys think? Do you find this to be an important story? Do you think it's worth the time? I mean, again, to be clear, we're going to cover it either way, but I'd like your thoughts on that. And I think that it's important, my personal opinion, that he continues to cover this. Now, those answers are important and they're powerful, but it's the credit where it's due is because of Derek's excellent questions to pull out this information. So make sure you follow this. And as well, Derek's posting other things on the conscious resistance. Now, as you can see, this through with Derek as the, a writer for T-Lab, this is a T-Lab you know, project but he is posting a lot of extra work over there and Derek deserves all the credit for everything that's happening here because he put this together. It's important. I, I mean, I think it's obvious. So let me know what you think. We're going to continue to cover it. Make sure you support that work. And then uh, lastly, I thought this was just, again, I think it's because this is, and, I'll, and I'll, actually on another note, I, I do personally, and I, it's hard to tell these days because there's so much censorship anyway, I feel an interesting amount of suppression on this topic in particular. And I, maybe that's because there's something larger to why this is in your water, or maybe it's just because it's that damning to be able to discover how long they've maintained this lie. But either way, there's this, you see this kind of stuff, and this is perfect to segue into the next point, which is why I put it there. He says, this is so dumb. Another lawsuit, weirdly popping up at the same time, seeks damages from the city of Buffalo for the lack of fluoride in their water. <laughs> I, everything in my body tells me that that is exactly what you think it is. And, you know, based on the way some of these court systems work, it may actually go, like, I look at it like the ICJ and the way it went down recently with a couple of different discussions. I don't believe that they're ultimately honest, but for whatever reason, I think it worked out the way that the facts should show. Right. That they, like, this is like, this is like Israel trying to throw a lawsuit, uh, uh, you know, accusation of genocide at Iran in response because they're just trying to dis, you know, deflect. Well, I don't, I mean, how can you possibly call for damages? What? So your teeth aren't white enough? Like, think about how crazy that is. So to me, this is a coordinated effort to drown that conversation with stuff like this and to muddy the waters, which tells me this is important. I believe that strongly. So on that point, this is kind of the stuff we get. And this is why I think stuff like this is happening, whether from local Buffalo News or from Associated Press, BBC, Fox and CNN and everything else. They have the legal right to lie to you. Now, right, just because I've said many times and a bit, I big shout out to uh, Brian from High Impact Felix, who I greatly respect. We haven't talked in a while. I should have him back on. He and I are very similar on this specific topic, but a lot of different things when it comes to constitutional rights and anarchism and, and so on. But that, just because something's legal does not make it right or even, I mean, constitutional, but just because something is a law, even then doesn't even make it legal. Like there's all these different overlap, the way that we've been broken so many ways. My point is that it always comes back to the constitution. The reason I, Brian jumped to my mind, he was recently on a, uh, I did a, did a show that I thought was interesting and the back and forth really exposed 
the truth of Brian's stance, in my opinion, based on a lot of different things. But, you know, I, you guys, you know, his work in the past. Yeah, he has a new channel, I think, called Here's the Deal doing. I mean, one of the videos I just saw of him doing a, a kind of police accountability at like 3.5 million views. So still getting some good reach on that stuff. So make sure you check it out. But my point is that just because it's a law, just because the Congress gets together and and actively, willfully disregards that a law is constitutional that they're passing, which means they're no longer even, you know, that's the point where it's, you know, if, if it, you know, what's the actual exact phrasing? Basically, alter or, the, the line of alter or abolish it. I'm blanking on the first part of it, which is if it is, you know, if, if it's not in the interest of, damn it, how does that go again? I could look it up. The point is that if the government is not acting in the way that you, that we all know that it's supposed to, in the interest of it, of the American people, if those interests are going the other direction, it is the right of Americans to alter or abolish it. That's, that is a right. And everything stems from the reality of the Constitution and how that applies to, you know, I mean, Supreme Court in general. It's ultimate, or courts in general, its ultimate point is to uphold the Constitution. But mostly, we can see today that it doesn't. So in stuff like this, when you have a law, both in the UK and the United States, that argues that you're allowed to lie because of some opaque national security interest, it just means they can do whatever they want. And as Ian Davis writes in this together, if you live in the UK, you live in a dictatorship. Many have been trying to warn everyone but no one seems too bothered you now can't you now can be imprisoned imprisoned which does seem to be a little bit more than what a lot more than we're dealing with at the moment in this country to a degree i guess but it depends on the public statement versus what happens and so on but for questioning state narratives you can be imprisoned he says democracy don't make me laugh well here's the article the guardian does a great job or the uh, excuse me off guardian <laughs> Definitely does an amazing job. UK's Online Safety Act, which we've talked about a lot, officially grants mainstream media permission to publish lies. Now, this is a bit different than the Smith-Munt Modernization Act, which is sort of the way our government operates, you know, selling you on the Patriot Act, which is the most unpatriotic thing in the world, or the War Powers Act, which gives them all the power. Like, all these different things are, they, they frame it as Ron Paul famously talks about in a way that seems to be solving the problem, when all they do is enshrine the problem in law so there you go just because it's something that becomes legal because they're corrupt but it's not constitutional and it violates what americans like point is bottom line we don't want that we don't want you to be able to lie to us but instead you just make it law so therefore problem solved right not at all you can see the the breakdown and this is uh section 179 in the uk it is illegal to publish false information with the intent to cause harm which is totally on them they can decide anywhere they want that your intent was x y and z but the point is, the other part of it on Section 180 very clearly exempts mainstream media if you're a recognized news publisher, which in the United States, at the very least, that's not supposed to be something that they can decide. You're, you are the news or a media personality or, an in, or a journalist if you decide to be. They don't get to dictate who is not by some kind of agreed you know, inner circle. Either way, they decide recognized. So per, obviously, that means the apparatus of propaganda or if you hold a license and so on, but the bottom line is that you're exempt. You're allowed to lie. And it's right on the surface of all of this. And I, they even make a point about that in general. Like they say, you know, you think even the corrupt and bloated criminal class that rules over us would never dare to be that blatant? <laughs> it's, it, it's just, they, I don't, I, I wonder what it is exactly, whether they think they just don't care anymore or that it's about trying to, you know, push the next step. Like we're, we're dragging our feet. And so instead they just kind of push you off the cliff, right? But so if you want to read more on this, you know, I've written about this more than once back when I was writing articles more often, still plan to. But by the way, on that note in general, I, I have all these, it, it, like with everything else, 
like my Freedom Cell group that I signed up with and have, ba- have barely even touched because there's you know, so many things going on. I've got a lot of things that I want to do. I wish I had three of me. But in regard to the Substack, I plan on writing articles. I plan on getting back on track with a lot of different things like our weekly updates and, and so on. But you know, I wasn't prepared for Scott to leave, so I didn't really plan to be able to take on all of the other stuff that would go along with that. But I, I will either, either with my own time frame, I will make sure I get back to that or maybe bring on somebody new. So if anybody out there is interested in that, reach out to me. But I just wanted you guys to know who are already subscribed to Substack. It's not going to diminish. We're going to, I in fact, go. We're, I think we're going to be doing more work than we used to, but it's going to take me a minute to kind of fold this into the time frame. And I say that because I've mentioned writing articles and that's one thing I really want to do is write some new stuff, both for this one and the Substack. But here's one I wrote in 2017. A new American empire. Google's new propaganda program changes everything. Now, this is not exactly about Smith. It it overlaps with that. This was about how the Smith Modernization Act and the different, many different acts and bills and manipulations. And then along with Google's new propaganda program, sort of like blew this up in a larger topic. But this is one you should read about. Here's what I wrote specifically about it. 2018. The Smith Modernization Act and the mainstream media, the legalized deception of the American people. And here's what's funny. This goes back to 2018. And that's I used what I used to do back a long time ago was I wrote an, I sort of wrote a mini article with the show and then changed the title. It was way too much work. And so I ended up not don't do it anymore. Here was the title of that of that show. Patriots labeled terrorists just to show you how interesting it is, how it relates to where we are today. Government propaganda, Netanyahu indictments. <laughs> and Israel's resource uh, war, what was it? I think it, really? Dot, 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 that's too bad. I guess I can't read the rest of the title. <laughs> but the point is just that, you know, there's a lot, we've been talking about this stuff a long time that are coming to pass today. Here's one written by Whitney Webb in 2018. Lift, uh, lifting the U.S. propaganda ban gives new meaning to old song. Now, the whole point is the, the Smith-Munt Act was about making propaganda toward you as an American illegal. It still happened. But this is how they passed the law, the Smith Modernization Act, to go away. We have a problem. We're going to solve it. We're going to modernize this act. And all they did was just make it legal. As long as it's in the interest of national security, which means literally anything they wanted to. As well as a great, uh, this one's 2016 from uh, Melissa Dykes, Truth Street Media. Yes, U.S. government propaganda used against American citizens is officially legal now. Just in case you want many different perspectives on it, I think that's an important topic. So on that note, Keeping all that in mind, by the way, with everything else we're talking about, because we don't factor that in enough today, but it is legal. And I mean, like, think about it like this. That's what I've said every time. That show you watched last night, that CNN program, the Fox program you watched today could be literally entirely made up from whole cloth if they deemed it national security. And understand that at some level of the corporation, they know that. I doubt the Tuckers of the world are aware that that's happening. And again, I think it's important to look back and realize that it's very self-evident now that Tucker was pulling punches or was being told what he can and can't say as much as he tries to say otherwise, because there's now examples of pointing back and, and saying, I'm saying things now today that I wasn't then and not about your opinion changing. And it's not even meant to be a knock. The point is, that's what corporate media is. I get why he wouldn't want to admit that. But you listen to someone like Alison Morrow, who has left and is being very public about the overlap. It's obvious that's what's happening. They lie. And they force them to omit and hold stories, or a lot of them just go along to get along. Maybe it's easier just to pretend that you don't know what's happening and just do what they say. In any case, one of those examples, here's something that Elon Musk just put out. And I just think it's wild to me how obvious this all is. 
He says, well, I, well, he wrote, he put out this saying the only action needed to solve climate change is a carbon tax. No, this wasn't some joke. It's very real. The point is, all the people that seem to be like predominantly supporting him and calling him a free speech savior aggressively disagree with that for the most part. I mean, even people like myself who are not left or right and you know, generally just engage each topic objectively, and I recognize the illusion of both, can see that climate change, the climate crisis is an illusion. It doesn't mean we're not destroying the planet. In fact, things he's involved in are doing that more than most. But it's not about carbon. And yet here he is, as, a, as we are supposed to perceive as a smart, intelligent tech billionaire who doesn't seem to grasp that or doesn't care. Do you believe there's a climate crisis that needs to be solved? And is solving that illusory concept the, a carbon tax? That's what I wrote. Elon is saying that both there's a climate crisis that needs to, to we need to solve. And in order to solve that alleged crisis, we need a carbon tax, which means you ta they tax you based on your perceived carbon footprint. And that means that, of course, you, know, you get taxed. So billionaires will just pay it and go about their lives the way they always have, which means they continue to do the things that they argue are the problem. Whereas the average person who is far, 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 far less of an impact has to pay more for gas, which will then directly influence whether or not you can use that car. That is what will change. It's control. And we all know that. And I bet you he knows that too. I said, but I guess since the free speech savior is proposing this, that it will be received as insightful. There's an interesting meme going around that shows, you know, Bill Gates saying, I'm going to put a microchip in you with a vaccine and showing the right going like, no, you know, bad, whatever, bad guy. And then Elon coming in and saying, I'm going to put one in your brain. Or, you know, I, basically the, the meme is like, this is a secret microchip. And they're like, no. And he's like, I'm going to put one in your brain right now and publicly. And they're like, yay, cool, nice. And it just shows you how crazy that is. Is it, not, is it not the same kind of point? <laughs> it just comes down to how they frame it, right? Here's your oppression and a nice shiny Republican side. Oh, that looks great. Or left. You know, it's how this works. And as uh, Doom points out, weird that he won't mention black carbon. I wasn't even aware of this, actually. Doom writes, scientifically, black carbon, or this is a post, obviously. And I, again, I don't think carbon is the problem, but this is how they're framing it, which is interesting as him coming up and arguing for a carbon tax. Scientifically, black carbon is composed of several different forms of pure carbon and heavily contributes to air pollution. This remains one of the largest environmental concerns with rocket launches. Gee, who's doing a lot of rocket launches? As rocket launches are subject to creating extensive amounts of black carbon which pollute the Earth. It's just so exactly what you would expect, isn't it? Now, one other quick point before we get into foreign policy, which is the bulk of today. We've talked a lot about the transgender conversation right? I mean, for a while. And it's important to notice that this, I mean, everything we've said about this is not, it's not even up for debate. These were provable realities, their own scientific studies, their own groups, like the, uh, was it WPATH, I think? The, the leaders, multiple leaders of that group were telling you that they were being haphazard with children right in the beginning. And just it, the, the agenda, like we're seeing today, just runs roughshod right over the top of it. So here is Ronnie Nicole pointing out that Alberta is going to ban medical transition for children. Yeah, about three years too late. But province will give women a choice to compete in women's only division and athletic competitions. Right. So the point is that it's even Canada, for crying out loud, Alberta specifically, <coughs> rolling this back. Now, why would that be? Weren't we screamed at this was like the most important thing in the world? That how dare you not believe and just blindly take a face value what they believe they are? So are they, are they now racist? Are they bigots? Or do they, are they just meekly and quietly admitting without saying it that they were wrong and aren't going to 
own up to all the children they've destroyed for the transhumanist agenda or whatever it was really about. I mean, think about that. And here, here is, uh, and again, this just briefly, like I'll get into, I think I'm going to go through and do a focus on this at some, I've been saying that, but I think it's, it's going to be needed at some point. A New York Times article. This is from yesterday. As kids, they thought they were trans. They no longer do. I had to use that at least once. I'm probably never going to use that again. The point is, it's absolutely unbelievable that this can be the statement. This is the same outlet that was screaming at you for being a bigot, for not blindly trusting what they were doing. And now you just come along and go, oops, turns out we were wrong without really even saying that. No acknowledgement. No, I mean, just realize this was being pushed and allowed. And by the way, it's still happening. This problem has not gone away. It's just kind of quietly gone to the background. There are still teachers who like militantly believe this and are pushing this on your children and the whole drags queen story time and all this stuff. I mean, where'd that all go, right? It's still happening for whatever reason. It's not this big, important wedge issue. Probably maybe it's the election time, election season. Who knows? But just recognize that people like Walsh who were on this early were right. This is wildly politicized, and they were mutilating your children for the interest of God knows what they were trying to accomplish. I've got opinions. But as Yang writes, New York Times published a long article today, yesterday, about detransitioners and how they always, or the always affirm model, which we were aggressively pushed, has destroyed the bodies and lives of many confused children. Gee, isn't that exactly what those of us trying to be honest about this were screaming years ago? The evidence backed it up then. I just think that's crazy, and I think it's important that we acknowledge how meekly they pass along these shit. It's like saying that North Korea is the biggest threat to our democracy, and then on a dime, we're looking somewhere else. Nothing changed, other, you know, from our side anyway, that now they're more nuclear capable. The point is that with every now, any, what about Venezuela? I thought Guaido being president was the most important thing ever. Otherwise, we were all going to die. And then, oh, no, now we need oil. So get out of here, Guaido. We don't care about you anymore. I mean, should I even say it? I've said a lot lately, but it's kind of all these points. Are, it's one of the many reasons why people seem to be finally, finally seeing through this stuff. Now, I've covered this a lot. I'll just include a couple of them along with the main tag. This one is from May 2023. I dar the dark and surreptitious agenda driving the transgender movement. This one specifically, uh, the weaponization of, your, of the transgender movement and the focus on your kids. And then just again, the tag itself. We've covered a lot of this. Some important coverage. So go, you go through and check it out for yourself. Now, let's get into foreign policy, which will be the remainder of the show today. I think it's important to talk about this. Yeah, we've already covered this. And really, honestly, other than the actual strikes, which are bit a big deal, it's what we already said would happen. So not much else has really developed here. But I think it's important to understand this. As I wrote on, this is the second, yesterday, retaliatory U.S. strikes hit Syria after Jordan attack, which, by the way, wasn't Jordan. Again, it was the all-tomp base in Syria, which is, it just shows you how, how pathetically the corporate media just goes along with whatever they're told, which is the exact opposite of what they claim their job is, to speak truth to power. Did you even do any due diligence? Like, it's not, this is the, this, Jordan spoke up, and by the, I think there was somebody else asking, by the way, about, you know, why. The first point is that there are people on the ground that acknowledge it was all-tomp, and the other part, but there's more than this, but the predominant parts are that Jordan itself spoke up and said, this is not what happened. It's an all-tomp, it's not Jordan. I think that's more than enough to realize that we're being lied to. And I think the reason is that we're not supposed to acknowledge Altomp because of what it's doing. It's an illegal installation on a foreign country that it's not welcome there. They're illegally occupying, as well as the fact that it's provable that they've kept 
basically a concentration camp there of, of Syrians as, and they've funded armed and used it as a kind of a staging ground for terrorism. This has been openly discussed in many ways. Now, the other part of it is, I think it's important that if they're, if they're aware that people are beginning to understand the reality of the Fort Geneva convention as it pertains to occupied territories, the, the actual international law that they pretend that they're fighting for, but never actually care about is that an occupied territory has the right to armed resistance or rebellion. So if you're bombing, if Syria in any sense decides to attack that base, it's a legal action, whether or not they were attacked first. That's not because I want that or because I'm anti-American. It's because it's the law. It's the reality. It's a static fact. I don't want anybody to be hurt. I think that's obvious. But as I, just as I told you, it would play out. I told you this before it happened because I knew, despite the screaming of the partisan media that said, they're going to bomb Iran. We have my inside secret squirrel sources tell me they're going to bomb it tomorrow. It's just every time. And yet people go back and listen to him anyway. But I said, not because I knew it, but because it was logical and I knew it was insane for them to do that, bomb Iran specifically, was that they would bomb the PMU, pretend they bombed Iran, and do so both in Iraq and Syria. I said that when they had only bombed Syria. I said, well, they're going to bomb Iraq too. I was talking to somebody about it because that's how they can make it look like there's this broad, sprawling action. And I can promise you the PMU is going to respond and they're going to act like that's Iran responding and they're going to keep this game going when it's not. And what's crazy about it is the U.S. knows that, Iran knows that. So it's really about you, as always. It's about manipulating your perception of what's going on. Attacks on the PMU, not Iran, using illegal strikes within Syria. This is what the belligerent U.S. government calls deterrence. Now think about how you would ever see that as deterrence, because you call it deterrence. Why do you think bombing multiple locations of an entity that's technically not the group you claim you're aiming, but even if it was, why would that be deterrence? Wouldn't they just respond? Yes. Now, what Iran recently did was an actual example of deterrence. That's not good guy, bad guy. It's just the static reality that what they did was designed to not necessitate a response. What they just did is obviously going to draw a response. So calling it deterrence is just propaganda. And as uh, Bread and Circus points out, strange correction from the story. And I've yet to actually be able to piece this together. Now, quite frankly, I haven't done like an immense amount of research to find this, but I looked for a minute and couldn't exact. You tell me what you think. So as he points out, this is a correction from yesterday. Initial rounds of strikes worked from the U.S. An initial battery of strikes in Syria did not come from the U.S. That's weird, isn't it? That, so my, my point is that either means that somebody else started this, maybe Israel, and then they were forced to go forward, or that they just bombed not from within Syria, but somewhere else, and then decided to do the rest from within Syria. It's a strange thing. I just I feel like there was something to that. That there might, I, I, as I think it's because we're seeing the involvement of Israel driving the actions of the United States. All of this has to do with Israel, Gaza, what they're doing there, and the U.S. footprint around the Middle East, which is being driven entirely by Israel's agenda. I think that's very obvious. Here's U.S. Central Command from yesterday at 4 p.m., 2nd of February. They conducted airstrikes in Iraq and Syria against Iran's Islamic Revolutionary, Revolutionary Guard, Qud forces, which is what they're saying, and the affiliated, affiliated groups, which, as far as I can tell, were just the PMU. U.S. military forces, now to be clear, of course there could be Iranian entities there. These are allies and they do work together. I'm not trying to pretend like that's completely devoid of any overlap, but it's not the Iran-backed proxies that they try to push on you. At least not that I can prove with any facts other than statements from the Israeli or the, uh, the United States government without anything else to back it up. And in fact, their own work over the last 20 years more than once has acknowledged that that's not even technically the overlap anymore, that it comes from an old understanding of when they were directly working together, and they just keep saying that. It's just how this continues to work. 
The U.S. military forces struck more than 85 targets with, think about this, 85 targets in a country that had nothing to do with this, with numerous aircraft to include long-range bombers flown from the United States. Like, how do you think the Syrian government's supposed to respond to this? Or the Iraqi government, who is literally occupied by the group who just bombed them? Which is the whole point about the occupation, international law, and why that's the same thing Israel's doing. It's a crime. The airstrikes employed more than 125 precision munitions, which, of course, makes lots of money for the war machine, right? The merchants of death. The facilities that were struck included command and control operation centers. Now, realize in this point, if there's no bombs falling, they're, I guess, the way to put it, financially starving, right? This has been proven so many, there's been studies on this. This government, not the United States, but the government, operates on the blood of other nations. Now, whether that's by design or not, I think it is. It's be it's just the default reality. They this is this is a military background to all of this, and they they not continuing the war machine. This country basically collapsed. That's what thirty trillion plus dollars of debt, so we know about, will do. But it says the facilities that were struck included command and control operation centers. So we're told intelligence centers, rockets, missiles, and unmanned unmanned air vehicle uh, aerial vehicle storages, logistics. I guess certainly could be true. I just don't know why we would take their narrative at face value. Munition supply chain facilities, militia groups. Now, very well, could be all of those things, but are all uh, Iraqi, Syria, PMU installations. Or not, or they're Iranian. My point is simply that what they did was entirely illegal, no matter how you look at this. And I think everybody is starting to make, the, you know, at least become, come to terms with this reality. And we've always known this. Right. I mean, the conversation about Iraq was had at that time or it's in particular as it spread out the mission creep. And as we can see now going forward, none of this stuff ever, ever needs congressional approval. How is that possible? That's one of the easiest ways to show you that this whole thing has the wheels have fallen off. There's not they're not even pushing back anymore. That's a big deal. Now, Disclosed TV was the one that wrote U.S. military begins to bomb Iraq and Syria. I just want to show you the kind of sentiment we're getting from people. Now that you can read the guy's whole engagement, clearly, as he says, conservative right there. Only showing you that because that's the, lar- the side that this seems to be reacting this way. Level them. Just think about the kind of ignorance it takes to argue, whether facetiously or not, or a joke or not. There is a very clear sentiment, like Lindsey Graham. But, you know, nuke them all, assassinate them. Like, just this belligerent, like, might is right kind of mentality. And it's 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 not just childish it's deadly right it's this clumsy i don't know what i'm doing or talking about kind of irresponsibility that's driving this and acting level them so all the citizens there all the civilians all the historical monuments all the culture like just think about it and of course he'd probably say who cares they're terrorists that's really how some people think and that's because of your government that's nothing else and i simply said you're an idiot it's crazy crazy now, Hawkeye points out, this is footage showing the explosions of the headquarters of the Onbar Operation Command and headquarters, as so we're being told, that was targeted by U.S. raids. And this, what you can just see, you know, just showing you the bombing of the area. And I think what's interesting to point out, which this is the unit that also just so happens to be fighting ISIS. Of course it is. Why? Because ISIS is not what you think it is. I've pointed this out on January 7th. ISIS claims responsibility for an attack on Iran. Why would that make sense? Aren't we being told that Iran is working and funding all this terrorism? Like, so at one moment, we're told that Iran is the biggest funding of terrorism in the world, and they're telling you that's ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and then that group bombs Iran, and we're supposed to not go, what? At least as we're being told anyway. As I said, how many times 
how many times exactly do we need to see ISIS attack the enemies of Israel, literally at the peak of hostile rhetoric, before we truly understand what we're seeing? As a, even a Ben Swan has an excellent documentary about the origins of ISIS. But here's, the, I always re- recommend James Corbett's three-part documentary, The Secret History of Al-Qaeda, and the reality of how obvious this is, that this is an organized proxy army. But as, uh, as Quantum pointed out as well, there's a, C- piece, a C-SPAN clip where they're acknowledging that the Israeli secret intelligence services, that's what they're really called, that's the acronym for ISIS. I just think that's interesting. The point is, as well as the fact that you can prove they funded, armed, and worked with these groups and gave them medical treatment in the Golan Heights, it's very obvious what we're staring at, right? So when you see them yet again bombing a, lo- a group that was, in fact, fighting their proxy army, it all begins to look much more clear. I'll include this as well. Now, here is Larry Johnson, a former CIA analyst, telling you exactly what I'm talking about. Now, you you know, take it with a grain of salt. I don't trust anybody that's coming out of CIA, but the bottom line is this is what anybody in the know actually understands, that this was bombing and likely killing innocent people just because you want to make a demonstration. Sort of like with Israel just bringing down buildings just to bring down buildings. Interesting how the overlap is so clear. I know for a fact, you know, in, in Al-Udid, the Air Force Base in Qatar, there's the uh, Combined Air Operations Center, the CAOC, C-A-O-C. And the general in charge of that CAOC was on the phone with his Russian counterpart who had was in charge of forces in Syria going, uh, hey, uh, stand by. Uh, we're going to be bombing in this location at this time, and we're going to use this many weapons, and we're going to come from this direction. Uh, do you copy? And the Russians would go, da, da, you know. And then the, the Russians would tell the Syrians, and the Russians and Syrians cleared everything out. And the bombs came in, created a big cloud of dust, and we went, by God, we showed them. <laughs> and that's exactly what's going on right now. Judge DePauliano, doing good work, talking to people, getting right questions asked. I just think it's it's just so ridiculous to me. How, how obvious that is, right? That it's really just about them. Like, and so think about what your government's doing. It, not just bombing where they can kill people, but illegally bombing, illegally bombing locations that they illegally occupy just to make a point. Sort of like bombing one of the most impoverished nations in the world that you've been starving for 15 years just because you want to make it look like you're pushing back. So Israel gives you a high five. Like, think about how crazy all of this is. And that's just, you know, that's what, that's what they know. They know this and it's an open secret and they laugh at you. They laugh at those of you that follow the right and the left of the conversation and parrot these talking points, and they're all doing the same thing behind the scenes. Just like this, for example. Here's Dave DeCamp. Alex Jones loves him a bombing campaign. This is uh, not him, but somebody else saying, we are bombing Iraq and Syria. Alex Jones responds, they attacked us. Did they? This is a controlled response. Is it? This is a rare time that Biden did not take the bait and did the right thing. Okay, now ask yourself, if this is the guy who sees through it all and recognizes that this, you know, this is like when you say they bombed, uh, they attacked us and that this is a controlled response. Like, so you're clearly on the side of the government entities in some way or another, not just Trump, right? No one's there now. Who are you? Who's us? What are you talking about? Who attacked us? We're talking about a base. It was legally in Syria 
who was bombed by a group that is within those areas that the U.S. has repeatedly bombed unjustifiably because they're playing, pretending they're bombing Iran. And either way, they're there illegally. So it makes it justified whoever within the Syria resistance is attacking them. And then you think it's justified while pointing at Iran with zero evidence to bomb locations that you're illegally occupying? Like, this is basic stuff. So I just want people to realize, and look, my opinion, if you are at the highest levels of the two-party illusion, there's no way you're being honest. It's not possible as far as I'm concerned. Maybe they don't know that. I don't know. But I'll tell you right now, I agree. He sure loves himself a bombing campaign if it's for the right reasons. Just think about what that shows you. Now, Tiberius points out over the past 20 years, the United States government and its allied air forces have dropped more than 337,000 bombs and missiles on other countries. So we know about. That is an average of 46 attacks a day. Now, I've seen much higher numbers than that. But let's just take this at face value because I quite frankly think it's monumentally higher than that. 46 attacks every single day for 20 years. And it goes back before that, trust me. As he says, and they think they get to decide who the terrorists are? Might makes right, apparently. Certainly seems the way the world works right now, at least from their perspective. But thank God people are seeing through it. I just think I think we need to be, you know, grow up a little bit in this country and recognize how obviously we're being driven into these manipulative stances that are inherently childish. Let's just say naive. Like willfully ignoring things like you would hear from Andrew Tate, the kind of stuff that any intelligent person would go, well, that's just ridiculous. That is a simple, wildly oversimplified, wildly partisan, just simply ignorant stance. And you pick your choice of things he said. Same thing. Here's a clip that I think is funny. I'm on, on Iran, so we're still technically on the Iran point. Uh, this is uh, uh, Nico House. He's taxed on free Palestine, free Gaza. But Nico House talking about Nikki Haley. Which Nikki Haley is just, again, like I, she's just not even real as far as I'm concerned. Whether that, who knows whether to put her into power because there's no election really happening. And that whether or not, like there wasn't one last year, last time either, or the one before that. But she is just like this compilation of old neocon stuff. It's really weird to me and how, how anybody's taking it seriously. It's almost embarrassing to watch. But here, as he writes, Nimrata Nikki openly advocated for the U.S. to violate international law by committing extra, extrajudicial assassinations of Iranian leaders. Like, openly said this. And this is, this is almost worse than, than Lindsey Graham. And they don't think that shows the world exactly what they are, or they don't care? I, I don't know. But here, here's what he had to say about it. Someone want to explain to me why Nikki Haley is openly advocating for assassinating Iranian leaders, Soleimani-style, both in Iran or on foreign soil. During a recent interview, Nikki Haley was asked, how should we respond to the allegation that Iranian-backed militia killed three American troops? This crazy... My mama watch, I'm not gonna say that. This crazy lady decided to respond by saying we should attack their resources and attack their leaders. And more specifically, she said we should assassinate their leader Soleimani style. And there is so much wrong with this. Of course, don't forget Soleimani right which by the way that story in general we were ahead of most everybody in the, in the in the in media in general i remember interviewing with james corbett about that because we had that story broken down like before it even happened the bottom line is that they assassinated him under the under the claim of diplomatic relations in an airport 
Now, that's not even getting into the overwhelming propaganda from the partisan media, both sides of it, that framed him as a terrorist. And this this goes into the point about we're going to get into in a minute about the border and so on. Like, just because they say on the terrorist watch list or from countries that we don't like, that means literally anybody that they don't like. And nine times out of ten, it seems they're not what they say they are. And then on the other side of that, they're working with all the terrorists and you guys call them allies and they're okay. You know, it's just, it's crazy. But I think here, Soleimani's aspect of this just demonstrates, just like with Trump, like I said, he took the mask off. He showed you what he was, which was nice, it was refreshing. You got to see it, point blank. We can call it out. But they assassinated him and claimed he was working with the bad guys despite the fact that he, again, to the point we just made, was the lead against the fight, fighting ISIS. He's, they're responsible with Iran's efforts and Syria and Russia, in fact, actually fighting this. And that's why the U.S. doesn't like it because they're fighting their proxy army. We need to really be honest about these things today. For starters, what do you mean attack people or resources in other countries? Like, you can't decide to destroy someone else's base of operations in another country just because you fucking feel like it. Right, but they do. And that's an important reality that they do that everywhere. That's what Israel does when they bomb anything in Syria. Oh, Iran, Iran's present. Iran installations. Well, what are you talking about? You can easily prove that's a not violation of international law. There's no declaration of war, but you to, this is the point. It's just not there. They don't care. They've lost control of this awareness. We need to see that these people are, that doesn't mean that the others are not, but these people that are acting under the guise of international law and fighting for it and human rights and freedom are the very people that they pretend they're fighting. That's not how it works. Also, someone might want to explain to Nikki that she is openly advocating to commit another war crime similar to the one the Trump administration committed when it assassinated Soleimani in Baghdad for basically no reason at all. And I feel like we might need a brief recap of that situation because all this chirping that Nikki Haley and other neocons are doing in response to this alleged attack from Iran, y'all seem to have forgotten what the hell happened last time y'all almost got into it. So let's talk about it. Many of you all may remember when we attacked Soleimani literally out of nowhere. And then Trump and his administration came out and said, it's not a war crime because there was some imminent attack that was allegedly going to happen that we never actually saw any proof of. Sound familiar? I mean, it's the same game we're playing right now. Preemptive self-defense, you're defending yourself. It's the same stuff, guys. These are bad people. But Article 51 of the UN's charter says that self-defense is only permitted when the attack has already occurred, is underway, or is actually considered imminent. And I think that most of you all probably agree. Soleimani sitting on a runway about to go meet two world leaders isn't exactly the definition of what we would call an imminent threat, nor is there any proof that has been provided that he was actually about to initiate some type of attack on American soil. So some scholars did the not so difficult work of proving, yeah, nah, this is definitely a war crime, bro. But what's more important is what happened after. Y'all see and by the way, just don't, it's so frustrating to me that you, this is from, uh, looks like MC International, Agnes Calaron, I believe that's what, uh, I forget, I think, but either way, it's human rights group, that they can have these kind of the work, right? They come out with a scathing research document that shows that we can prove, like with Israel right now, here's our work that proves they're bombing civilians, they know they're bombing civilians, and nothing, not a peep. So you no, know, but the governments don't care. But of course, if they came out and proved in the same way that Palestinians were doing this, it would be everywhere. And we all know this. 
It's just really highlighting that double standard. What's more important is what happened after. Y'all see how Nikki Haley and the neocons are like they pumping up their chest like Magilla Gorilla, right? <laughs> but I remember how that situation went down after we attacked Soleimani. I remember that Iran told you that they were going to attack U.S. bases. I remember that Iran threatened you and said, if you retaliate, don't worry, we got missiles pointed right at you. And you have no idea where we're going to attack. Basically, Iran said, we're going to retaliate and you're going to shut the fuck up and not do anything about it. And I forgot he cusses in this. Anyway, the, the point is simply that if you remember, this is kind of an example I made before. This was Iran responding in, in truth where then they lied about all the people that were killed and pretended a thousand people got brain injuries, but somehow nobody died. And then we kept randomly seeing all these helicopter crash. And there's three people out of here and over here. Oh, they're all made up all these random bodies all of a sudden. That's my opinion. Anyway, the bottom line is that that was, and then, and then the U S government engaged with the PMU. Did they ever bomb Iran back? No, because they know that's lunacy, but it's interesting. You can see how clear this all is. Now, here's what Arnaud Bertrand writes, easily one of the more, more, more unhinged Thomas Friedman New York Times articles, and that's saying something. He decided to understand the Middle East through the animal kingdom. It's just an arbit it's like a contrived effort to make these points. Always a great idea to compare people to animals in the context of genocide and dehumanization, right? And surprise, surprise, the more noble animals are the U.S. and Netanyahu, respectively, and a lion and a lemur, while all the locals are insects and parasites. Shocking. So for, I mean, just think about how ridiculous, if that was in, in any other context, if that was in reverse, of course, you'd be an anti-Semite. For an instance, he says, Iran, one of the world's oldest civilizations is a parasitoid, a parasitoid wasp that injects its eggs into the live caterpillars. The caterpillars being Lebanon, Yemen, Syria, Iraq, and the wasp eggs, the Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas, Kateb Hezbollah. Hamas, by the way, on top of being a, paras, a parasitoid wasp egg is a, also apparently a trapdoor spider. Go figure. And apparently, the old lion and, and the U.S. has no counter strategy that safely and efficiently kills the wasp without setting fire to the whole jungle. That's actually what he writes, i.e. burn down the Middle East. It doesn't make, even make sense, by the way. Why would a lion who lives in the savannah be bothered by a jungle wasp? Like, the logic of it doesn't, the analogy doesn't even add up. It is because his friends, the lemur who eats caterpillars, is bothered by the eggs, showing you that it's clearly, almost within the analogy, just showing you that Israel's needs become the necessity of the U.S. government. So anyhow, there you have it. Geopolitics explained to Americans by an, a New York Times premier columnist. We're the king of the animals. We're burdened by insects and parasites in the jungle, and we must have to burn the whole thing down. I mean, it's legitimately what he wrote. Understand the Middle East through the animal kingdom. He says, the U.S. is like an old lion. Iran is, is, is to geopolitics what a recently discovered species of parasitoid wasp is to nature. Is there a better description of Lebanon, Yemen, Syria, Iraq, and today? They are the caterpillars. Okay, so they're the, the I guess, insects meant to be kind of derogatory in its own right. And that the wasp, which is the, the you know, Iran, is laying eggs into these caterpillars, so the, and which then gives you the Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas, which is just an illusion in and of itself. These are independent popular movements that rose up because of oppression in most cases. In the case of Hamas, obviously, you can see an overlap dynamic with Israel trying to fund and f use them against the whole situation, which they successfully did for a very long time. Still possibly today. I just don't think that's the case. But either way, the point is to argue they're all just Iran funding terrorism around the world, even though you can prove that Israel and Saudi Arabia and the United States are the chief financiers of terrorism on the planet. 
is just insulting to your intelligence. It says, and they eat them from the inside out. It says, we have no counter strategy that safely and efficiently kills the wasp without setting fire to the whole jungle. I mean, is that just a way to kind of like make sense of why Israel is just carpet bombing instead of going in to strategically fight the group they claim they're fighting? I mean, my God, these people are disgusting. Hamas is like the trapdoor spider. Netanyahu is like the lemur. If anybody did this in reverse, you know exactly what would be happening. At the very least, all of the screaming, you know, Elon Levies of the world are going to come out and call it, Ray, it's classic blood libel, no matter what, no matter what it said, you know. Here's what Scott Ritter said to end the point about Iran. Imagine for a second, for a moment, a scenario where a senior Iranian diplomat arrives in Damascus and proclaims to the media, quote, Mr. Biden is going to get some unpleasant surprises while announcing the supply of weapons to pro-Iranian militias for the sole purpose of killing American soldiers who are illegally operating on Syrian soil. The obvious reverse analogy, that's what Newland just did publicly or Lindsey Graham saying assassinate them or bomb them or kill them all <coughs> excuse me it just it's just this uh, hubris I, I don't know whether they don't even know it anymore but at the very least it's just provably on the surface showing you that these people believe they're above the law Victoria Newland is an evil hypocrite he writes and not too smart I agree with that she just made the case that the U.S. is de facto party to the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. I think they've done that countless times already. She also, using U.S. logic, by the way, made a de facto case regarding the legitimacy of Iran's actions regarding the transfer of weapons to Syria and Iraq. Right? Why is it okay for you to, to work with your allies and not them? It's just this simple one-sided game. It's a double standard because they deem them unofficially or rather officially, but with no le legitimacy behind their claim, to be bad guys. You're a terrorist now. So anything you do, even if it's legal, is terrorism. That's how stupid this has become. And thank God people are seeing through it. And, and realize with this analogy, you can apply that to just about everything we're seeing. Blinken and his statements, Biden, the way he acts, people, or, you know, people like the Lindsey Grahams of the world. Going to Ukraine, for example, and saying, your war is our war, and then 30 seconds later, pretending like you didn't do all this. Now here is the Jerusalem Post. Proudly pointing out on the today, the U.S. and U.K. again, for what, the fourth time in this whole series, strike dozens of Ansarallah targets, as they call the Houthi rebels. Why? Because they're hindering the genocide that they are desperate to maintain. Because that's the only thing that's really happening here. They're stopping, they're, they're upset that the Ansarallah movement in Yemen are only stopping the necessities to Israel. Which, despite the allegations of railroad trains, which I'm not even sure is true, bringing things to Israel from Qatar and elsewhere, I think it was Qatar, they're still hindering them dramatically. And that, that's not even, that's the point, that, that's on top of the point of the fact that they, even with everything they need, are still failing in what they're trying to accomplish, other than just mass destruction and murder. But to realize that this is the U.S. government, the U.K., acting as the pit, the, the, the attack dog of Israel. And bombing Yemen, and in one of the most impoverished countries in the world, just because they are not getting what they want. There's nothing legal about this. There's no congressional approval. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's over the top. And it really continues every day to kind of shock me, even though I see this stuff, that they would continue in this avenue. Like, what does Israel have on them? Like, I mean, really, just what is it that's driving this into reality? It just can't, because listen, Biden has lost so much support for this. 
And yet they just keep going. Maybe there's, you know, the plan that we just don't see. Here's Hussein Al-Bukhadi, who I've interviewed more than once. You can look at the website on The Last American Vagabond. During the U.S. and U.K. latest raid, he posted this today on Yemen. And by the way, they bombed. I, I should have put this first. Oh, wait. Oh, I thought I had one more tweet in there somewhere. That's weird. Well, in any case, they bombed the Capitol. I'll show you, show you in the article. They bombed the Capitol. Densely, you know, civilian populated area. It's like bombing Damascus, right? Do you think that has to do with the with ships? I mean, just the, you have to recognize this. Even, even if you think this is actually about stopping what they're doing, why would you bomb the Capitol? Now, he says, one Yemeni was recording the raids. And you can listen to it. It's, it's in Yemeni. And so on. And he says, I swear to God, America, even if you set the Capitol on fire, Sanaa, we are with Gaza. We are with Gaza. He continued to say wedding because in Yemen, when there's a wedding, they use all types of weapons to celebrate the wedding. So the USA and the UK should know that we see these attacks because he's Yemeni and explosions as something to celebrate. Because finally, it's truly the Yemenis who show and teach the world what the, what it takes to have a human and moral standards towards Palestine. He's, he's, he, write, he continues to write, let's say goodbye to US and UK false claims. They are the ones who lead the free world. It's clear now they are the ones who lead the genocide or they are not the ones who lead the free world. They're the ones that lead the genocide. I agree because now it's Palestine and Yemen who are leading the free world and the confrontation with the aggression against humanity. That's why we are celebrating in Yemen after every attack, the Red Sea, Gulf of Aden, Arabian Sea and the Arabian Gulf feel f we will feel our victory. We now are fighting the mother of all terrorism. We're fighting the devil itself. You know, it's 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 really difficult for Americans specifically to to recognize what the truth is about your own government. I know that's very difficult. And in a lot of ways, a lot of other aspects of the system, the two party illusion in particular, are built to make you feel guilty or somehow unpatriotic by pointing out the truth. But remember, the, there's many quotes from people in the history of this country. I think it was. I don't know if it was Franklin or not, but one of the main quotes was that, you know, to just blindly support the president or read just the government is servile, right? It is, it's meek. It's pathetic. You are, that's not the interest of Amer of freedom or democracy or whatever you want to talk about. There's been many statements like this because the reality is we used to understand that, that you're not blindly adherent to one party or one group or one policy. It's about it in the interest of the people. And truly, I think that this is becoming very clear. Now, on to Ukraine. Ivan uh, Ch uh, Chanavovsky, <laughs> political scientist, University of Ottawa, wrote something interesting. He wrote, uh, this is uh, Zalhuzi, Zahu, uh, Zalhuzni, who is the, uh, was one of the he heads of the military, on the eve of his expected firing by Zelensky. And this, here's the, you, the Washington Post from yesterday, Ukraine informs the U.S. about its decision to fire its top general. On the eve of his firing, Zelensky show, this is uh, by Zelensky, shows his backing from the far right, Zalhuzny, and specifically the right sector. You know, one of the obvious Nazi elements that are totally don't exist if you listen to the corporate media with the picture of Bandera behind them, you know, and, and their Nazi symbolism. Which is which the right sector has the power, which he's arguing anyway, to overthrow Zelensky, which I argue has always been there. 
Dalhousny takes a selfie with the leader of the far with the right sector and the commander of the right sector in front of a portrait of a Nazi collaborator and a far right, the organization of Ukrainian nationalists, which, by the way, is the foundation of the Azov movement and the CIA elements that created that. And since I mention it. An article for you that operate uh, Project Aerodynamic was the operation that the CIA literally grew fascism in Ukraine in the interest of affecting the Soviet Union, but they've never stopped and they've continued to do it. And that is the Azov movement. And it does directly connect with things like Charlottesville, which I'll grab that too, since I say it. You should not, you should not forget. Oops, that's not right. There you go. That Charlottesville was the Rise Above movement, which is provably, as I've shown you many times, the, the U.S. arm on the record of the Azov movement. So the very impetus of Charlottesville, which became the kind of major major point for the domestic terrorism, MAGA, and the right, and the cars hitting protesters, and they will not replace us, that was the Azov movement, which was built and funded and created by the CIA. It's very simple, but we've gone over that in the past. The point here is that, arguing anyway, that there might be something different happening, right? That there might be, this might be the example of, as we've seen in the past in the Middle East, for example, or at least the argument that Saudi Arabia made at one point that they've lost control of all this, which is pretty common, in fact. You fund all the, the, the worst of the worst in hopes of destabilizing other people, but eventually those people continue and they've got a lot of work and they've grown and they've got weapons and you can't, you can't control things like that, not really. And so here's the Nazi elements that, in, that might end up deciding not to let Zelensky do this, but we'll see what happens. The point is that this is what the reports are from today coming out of the Ukrainian media. Zahuzny saga update, the White House reportedly notified as that's all you're getting in the corporate side of the media in the United States. However, Kiev officially denies the dismissal. Think about that. So this seems to be, I, this, I saw this the other day, but this was actually yesterday. I saw it yesterday. I didn't really... I, I wouldn't really get into it yet because I thought, it, I, you know, you have to find out if this is actually going to happen. The, the picture is real. But now based on this, it seems like there's more to this. So it's interesting to see what might happen in Ukraine if suddenly the extremist elements that they grew to use against their enemies decide to remove their puppet that the U.S. put in place. I can promise you the only thing that would happen was Newland would go back, all of her buddies, because that's who put these people in place, and just make agreements with the new people. That's all that would happen. But my point is that it shows you how how irresponsible, how hapless, how unconcerned they are with what happens to the people of these countries to achieve their ends. Now, Judge Napoleano, getting into the, uh, oh, actually, I should have put this, well, anyway, this is relates to specifically, um, well, I'll make sure I didn't put this in the wrong spot, actually. I think I did. Oh, no, it's the right one, because he's talking about Ukraine down here. The point is that here's, Arca Jr. saying, you know, I'll come in and I'll stop the Ukraine war right away. I'll just read it first. He's saying, I'll immediately end the war, not prolong it by dragging other countries into it, kind of calling out Trump, where Trump is saying, I'll fund the Ukraine war and I'll get other countries to fund it even more, showing you exactly what we've always been saying. His supporters, before he said that, were telling you that the opposite was the truth because they just read into whatever he says into what they want to be the case because that's how that kind of stuff works. But he's not. He said he would publicly support Ukraine, which is always the case. He'll publicly support Israel the same way. But RFK comes in to make it look like he's different and saying, oh, it will stop the Ukraine war. Which Judge Napoleano rightly pointing out the obvious. 
Well, Bobby, would you also immediately stop funding the genocide in Gaza by Israel? Of course, he will not respond to that. There's no denying the acts committed by Hamas against Israel were horrifying. However, Israel is not defending itself. They are deliberately attempting to wipe out an entire population race of human beings. Now, even if you disagree about the first part, Hamas and what happened on October 7th, which again, you can't deny that crimes were committed. It's important to see that even people that might hold beliefs that you don't agree with are coming to the reality because it's impossible to ignore that they're committing genocide. Everybody, including their supporters, are aware of this, guys. Your current position, he continues, on this matter places you on the wrong side of history. And I think he knows that. Please tell us why you support the continued slaughter of Palestinian civilian population. Please tell us why you support the total destruction of infrastructure in Gaza, schools, hospitals, homes, places of worship. Why do you support sending U.S.-made weapons that are being used to kill innocent people? Why are you complicit in the war crimes you have seen with your own eyes? Of course, he's not going to respond to that. What's interesting, though, is, you know, you could take this point about schools and hospitals and so on and look back in any other context. Even if you think there's a, I mean, even if there are literal extremists that have taken it over and using human shields, the point is that you go back and, and you see these things in the game. That The point is they would say that they're lying or that it's not true or it doesn't matter because they, it's the same game. And except the difference now is that you can prove that they're not, that they're the 972 uh, magazine article and Haaretz overview, or rather I meant, uh, uh, yeah, overview work, kind of a broad discussion of all that they've proven and debunked. They know what they're doing. They are deliberately destroying infrastructure and you can see conventions planning the rollout of these settlements. It's all so very obvious, it's insulting. But I agree. There's too much hiding this. And that's why it's hard to feel that a lot of this, of the other things that seem unrelated are being driven by a desperate entity that is losing control of everything. That's my opinion. Now, I'm never going to tell you that's the absolute fact until I can prove that. But I very strongly feel that a lot of the things we're talking about today are being driven by the desperation of the Israeli government. Now, let's talk about for a second the border, which I do believe is an overlap to that very point. Arnab Betrand writes, it's, it's actually quite in, astonishing, this statement made by Jake Sullivan. He says, quote, and here's the actual white, the, the links are right here for you as well, from the White House Post, saying, we realize that efforts implied or explicit to shape or change the People's Republic of China over several decades did not succeed. Which that might not seem, I mean, it's obviously not shocking because of how much you hear this, that we're trying to, in, you know, to spread democracy and freedom and, you know, whatever else. We're trying to, uh, what's the words they use? Talking about like the global south and say, you know, we're supposed, we're going to give them digital IDs because they don't understand how to live their lives properly, you know, whatever they keep doing. The reality of it is that on the surface of that, they're violating international law in every possible time that they, especially with their adversaries, explicitly try to shape or change what they're doing. But to be clear, they all do this. But let's just understand that the U.S. government's one of the only ones that seem to proudly state that because they act like when they do it, it's freedom. He writes, it's astonishing because it implies a complete I don't, I wouldn't think it implies, I think it very clearly states a complete disregard for China's sovereignty or whoever they're talking about. Just because you see China as the evil bad guy does not change the international law. That's it. We have to remember that. Imagine China or Russia saying that they're undertaking efforts to shape or change America, which I guarantee you they are. But saying that publicly and proudly like you're, they would lose their minds. 
And by the way, he writes, it makes a complete mockery of international law, which is what they're doing every day today. Article 2 of the UN Charter calls on all states, quote, to prospect the sovereignty, territorial integrity, and political independence of other states, which, my God, nobody cares about that. He says, I guess they're so used to being above the law, American exceptionalism is so part of the psyche that they don't even realize how statements like this, let alone the actions these statements describe, sound to the rest of the world, especially today. Now, we just talked about the Russian victory in the ICJ, which is what it was, and the Chinese Uyghurs conversation. The reality of the hypocrisy around the whole thing. Now, just to quickly sum up, the point is that I think obviously you can prove that there's been human rights violations, very clearly. And that you can easily prove, based on what we have in front of us, the actual facts, the statements of intent, and so on, that you could prove they've never met the metrics of what they claim is genocide. They just scream genocide because only up before before October 7th, really October 8th forward, the world was not acutely aware of the specific definition and the metrics that need to be met to use the word genocide because the U.S. would throw that around like it was nothing. Russia genocide, 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 genocide. That's just how it was. There was no investigation. Like think Matt Miller's talking point about the bombs and every bombing needs to be investigated. Like that's not how that happened with Ukraine. They, they would speak up and say it without question, without any due diligence. These people know that. It's, it's embarrassing. So my point is, when you're calling it genocide, not to say there's not obvious human rights violations that you can prove. That's not to say that it's not the case, but you can prove that they have not met those metrics based on what even the U.S. government's laying out as the evidence. But then on top of that, the hypocrisy is self-evident. That if you care about one side of this happening and the pictures of Uyghurs and the blindfolds and completely disregard the far more provable side of this conversation where even the world court has come out and said that there's merit to this accusation, you're a hypocrite. But the point I'm bringing this up today is the interesting part about how you can see a weird overlap to this conversation and the proof, the provable reality of the U.S. government, Britain, Israel, using radical Muslims, radical Islam, radical anything for that matter, to destabilize, to use as the justification to go in, to manipulate, to steal, whatever they want. So we need to think about whether there's an element of that here. I think it's obvious that there's, well, you could look at it one of two ways. I mean, there's more than just two options, but to make it simple, you know, you could look at it like either these are, this is a real situation where these are actual extremists, because the other point to this is that you could prove even in the acknowledgement of the U.S. and other entities, that these and the leadership of this movement in, as it pertains to, I think, Xinjiang, they were bombings and killings and, and you know, actions and openly stated that they were going to bleed China and blah, 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 right? So the same thing, what would the U.S. and Israel do? They're telling you. They would do the same thing. When China does it, of course, bad guy. But the point is, none of them should be doing it because that's all a crime, no matter who does it. See, that's the different part of the two-party paradigm, right? That's the statement. But that, but that ultimately question whether there's somebody driving that, right? So it could just be that it's an organic situation where there's extremists and that China starts doing something about it and maybe in ways that are illegal and the U.S. government goes, aha, perfect, we'll fund them, we'll influence them, we'll side with them like they do with anybody that's against their adversaries, even if they're worst of the worst or usually being the worst of the worst. Or it could be that it wasn't there at all and that they need to destabilize the very group they told you was the focus of their next 20 years, which was China, right? China can't surpass U.S. preeminence and we have to make sure we're growing in the tech industry. I mean, everything they seem to put forward is about battling against China's growing economy and the failure of the U.S. entity. 
because of what they're doing. Look right now, they're shooting themselves in every foot because of what Israel's doing. But my point is, I think it's obvious that that's something we shouldn't ignore, that this is being done to China, which still doesn't remove the fact that they were abusing some of these people. But on that note, talking about this overlap, I think this is really interesting. This is an article from uh, Daily Caller, which I'm very suspicious about. Now, this gets into two things, both that point we made there and the overlap of utilizing that, but also the border, well, three, really, the border itself, but then also the conversation about how this is being used to set you up. I really feel that with this conversation. It's entitled, Not a Friendly Migration. Brett Weinstein, who I'm in the, like I think a lot of people are becoming suspicious about, details trip to Darien Gap with Tucker, warns about alleged Chinese camp. This was on the 1st of February. It says, biologist Brett Weinstein, which, you know, why is he going to, what, Panama? It's strange. Not that he can't just travel there, but this seems like there was an agenda here. Like, and he does explain, express it. <clears throat> he says that Michael Yan, who I'm equally, con- you know, I have my suspicions about, <clears throat> invited him there. All of this is wildly partisan. And you look into some of the, some of Jan's work, you can see a lot of the, you know, they're all, it's, it's, it, I can't help but feel the very inherent racist tones to a lot of it. Like you could acknowledge there's weaponized migration and that there's entities, whether it's China, Israel, Russia, whoever, who are using this. At the, but at the same time, not engage with all these people like they're all terrorists or all gross and disgusting and going to steal. And run. that's how this conversation feels from every angle in the partisan world. But he writes that he, he a recent trip to the Darien Pass or Darien Gap on Thursday with Daily Caller co-founder Tucker Carlson, warning that he had allegedly witnessed a mass Chinese camp. Oh, excuse me, he detailed the trip. Tucker didn't go with him. Weinstein appeared on the Tucker Carlson encounter, one of the many things they're doing all on X apparently or wherever else, to discuss his recent visit to the Darien Pass, known as one of the most treacherous ways migrants from South America travel to get to the United States. Right, South America being just the you know playground for U.S. hegemony, just bombing and stealing and destabilizing, and nobody barely even seems to care unless they're starving an entire country like Venezuela. Either way, as usual, siding with the word, you know, basically, you know, working with Colombia, one the leading co- co- cocaine exporting country in the world, but then pretending that somehow Venezuela is the narco terrorist. It's just so embarrassing how clearly these people don't care about anything they pretend to fight against. But South America being an interesting conversation because obviously migration is going to largely stem because of destabilizing U.S. foreign policy, because of countries that are impoverished because of what they're doing and stealing and manipulating. But Weinstein stated that he had gone down to the location after Michael Yan invited him to witness specifically these sites. Interesting. This is a camp, he says, that is built as a transit camp. So they're seeing a specific camp. He's saying it's built of containers and various objects to house people. Well, it sounds like many of these camps, quite honestly. And it is almost entirely Chinese. Interesting allegation. Now, look, let's be clear. I am in no way arguing that, that that's not possible. I just, the fixation from the right about everything only relating to China seems really disingenuous to me. I see China as one of many possibilities in anything we're talking about. Weaponized migration, I very much think is part of this, but I think that that's not, I think that's obviously part of it, but it's almost like we're supposed to be able to see that and it's supposed to be blamed on somebody who's not doing it. That's how I feel this is working in order to get people to jump to the border, to act like they're defending something when in reality it is about exactly that. Partly anyway, 
I mean, these are all my hypothetical, these are opinions. But I think, as I said before, I think it's very obvious that it's one of the clear possibilities is that this is being done to you by an entity that is desperately fighting to both stop the the slow dissolving of the support of the United States government of the genocide that's happening. That's one thing to think about, as well as the fact that Israel has always been in a prominent aspect of everything the right's talking about here. Whether you want to talk about the replacement theory or whatever you whatever you see this as, Israel has been a fine fundamental excuse me fundamental part of that agenda. Now, you, you could call that racist or whatever else. The point is just weaponized migration. Using these things to change demographics, to destabilize entities. I mean, this is not, this is a scientifically studied topic that goes back before any of these countries even existed. It's been done for a very long time. And I think quite obviously, the is, Israel has an interest in doing things like this for many different reasons. Now, that doesn't mean I think that I can prove that that's happening, but I think it's far more likely than I could tell than China doing that. Now, look, the argument seems to be that it's about some long-term plan to destabilize the U.S. for their interest. Now, that would make sense, obviously, but it's kind of broad, right? And it's open, and other than seeing Chinese people in this camp, or all of them they're claiming, which, again, it's, it's, I'll show you why I think that's at least not the full picture. Other than that, I don't see any real evidence this is some kind of master Chinese plan, but I'm open to it. Send me the evidence. He says, he says of course, Tucker jumps in, Chinese? That's a long way from China in his typical way. You know, the scene of front, the uh, uh, Panamanian border control actually forbid them from going into the camp. So we had to stay outside of it. So I don't see how you feel you got the full picture of what was going on there. That's the first point. We were also forbidden to photograph it, of course. So what the photographs we did have were taken covertly. So I guess from outside and you can see some of them here, which seem to show some people that are Chinese entities. Of course, it's not going to load because X is fantastic. But it says, wait, may I ask, so is the government of China, do you believe, that's funding this? What a leading question with no evidence to go on. Some Chinese people, so you think the Chinese got, like, that's the kind of Republican-minded part, to, you know, certainly ask it. Why, why wouldn't you just as likely ask if it was Israel or Russia or anybody else using all these people? Or just think past the point that maybe the Chinese people are there. Like, ask yourself this. If China was trying to do this, why would they use Chinese people? Doesn't that seem a little bit too obvious? Right? Or not. I'm not saying I know for sure, but I think it's very transparent that there's an, an effort to drive in that direction. Now, you could make the argument that the way I propose the Israel aspect is doing the same thing. The difference is that I'm only proposing that as one of these possibilities, and I'm not saying Tucker's doing anything different, but in a broad sense from the Republican narrative, you can see that this is just wholesale. China did it. Biden's being driven by China. It's about, you know, and it's all, it's all, it's, and some of them anyway, but I do think it's a prominent aspect of this. And I'll show you next, I think on this next article, it says Weinstein continued to claim that the Chinese migrants had been the opposite of forthcoming. The biologist also described the atmosphere of the camp, noting how they how there allegedly were an overwhelming amount of Chinese military age men. I, these are all very broad and unverifiable points to me. And I just don't, the, the fixation on this. Now, you know, the other part about this is interesting. Usually refugees, like you, you see, like when you see families and children and women, that's what happens after something like Gaza, right? So when you see these people with dragging their belongings, like we saw from Venezuela, for example, in the last one, as much as I tried to push the other narrative as well. That's because these people are running from their lives being destroyed. They're not seeking a better life because America's the best. They're running from, they're going anywhere to get away from the bombing, likely knowing that is the U.S. is part of it, 
or the destabilization, starvation, that they'll go there to get away from it. Makes sense, doesn't it? Well, they're not going to do it to themselves. Well, they're wrong about that. But the point is that in most cases, when you see just general migrate, it's, it's a lot of men. People that are going, like you find this a lot across the Mexican-U.S. border, right? Where a lot of men will go live in the United States and send money back to their families. So it's weird that we have this mindset that because you see a lot of men who are the age to be able, like not old or children, so it's kind of military age, right? You could argue very clearly that you, if you see only men, that maybe that means there's something else going on. And to be clear, I do think there's something going on within all of this. But I'm just trying to point out how broad this becomes and how it's an invasion without any more evidence. It becomes a, you know, like the FBI letter we'll get into in a second. I just feel like this is being driven aggressively with very little evidence and people are far too many are willing to just go along with it. Quote, it says, and I've been to dangerous places before. This is Weinstein. I've been to places where people fear their government and can't talk to you because they feel it's not safe. This didn't feel like that at all. This felt like people who did not want to share information because it would be a mistake to do so. I would love to see how you glean that from the way they're not telling you things. Now, I'm just going to be honest about that statement was one of the most, it gave me the most suspicion. So you're engaging with somebody, asking them questions as some random white guy, as they're in, you know, whatever they're going through. And they don't want to give you answers. And you somehow take from that, it's not the kind of non-answer I get when I'm in a place where they're scared. It's the kind of non-answer I get when they secretly know I shouldn't say anything. How in the world are you going to get, I mean, come on, that seems a little bit over the top to me. It says, and what's more, there was an accident where Michael Yan, who has lived in China, tried to start up a conversation with a guy who claimed to be from Korea, but he tripped them up and got him to start speaking Chinese and they laughed about it. Okay. As I looked it up, it looks like there's like a 20% overlap, Korean speaking Chinese and that, you know, or I think it's like English and then something else. And then China, Chinese are like the the second, the language is secondarily. So is it, I mean, my point is simply to say, of course, it could mean everything they're saying or not at all. And it's just happily leaning into any point that aligns with what you already want people to think. And people are acting in aggressively dangerous ways right now based on this kind of narrative. And what we'll get into next, that your government which let's not miss that Tucker's war, you know, concern here and Weinstein's concern here seems to be perfectly aligned with what the government wants you to think. Don't miss that. As the southern border has seen a record number of illegal crossings, concerns over who has entered in the United States have risen. That's fair. Of course it is. According to federal data, the number of Chinese nationals crossing the border in December 2023 surpassed totals from previous entire years. That is pretty crazy, assuming those numbers aren't manipulated, which that's how we have to engage with this today. It's very easy for them to just completely lie to you about job numbers, about immigration, about whatever they want to, through omission or through blatant misrepresentation. But why wouldn't we ask as one of the possibilities? Because realize that doesn't prove anything. It's a data point which seems to suggest something. But let's say if somebody wanted us to think China was doing this for their own interests, couldn't they just make that the, yeah. Why wouldn't we ask that? Now, I think it's obvious that there's something going on here, assuming this data is accurate. And it is interesting that they're claiming there's more Chinese nationals in particular in this one month than all the previous years. That's crazy. So that does tell me, and that very well could mean that China is doing this to do, I just think it doesn't make much sense they would use Chinese people if it was about Chinese manipulating the United States. That seems pretty ridiculous, but maybe that's the whole point. Maybe that's the, the way it makes it seem like it's totally not happening. So equally consider that China could be using this kind of effort to destabilize the United States for some larger agenda. 
That's very, it's one of the possibilities. Another possibility is that it's somebody else or that's not happening at all. U.S. Customs Border Protection encountered 5,951 Chinese migrants who illegally crossed the United States through the Mexican border. Additionally, CPB data, the Border Patrol, show that the number of caught illegal migrants on the terrorist watch list hit a new record for the first two months. Now, that was the point I wanted to make sure we heard, too, is that just because they're on this watch list does not mean much these days. They put anybody, they put entire countries on this list that have nothing to do with terrorism. Of course, the two-party illusion might disagree on both sides, which, again, tends to show you something. Here is where this goes. Uh, Bread and Circus shared these with me, actually. That was where I got these from. Town Hall. Chilling letter. We've already talked about the letter. Warns of 10-7 style. Seriously. Attack by illegal immigrants inside the United States. We've seen this repeatedly. Uh, Spaces chats about how it's only a matter of time until Hamas is on your border. There's zero to make that. There's nothing in it all other than Israeli narratives to make you think that would ever happen. It actually doesn't even make sense at all. There's no logical reason why Hamas would do that outside of the funding of Israel or the United States, seeing as how it's a 30,000 strong entity, so we're told, inside of an open-air prison. How exactly is that supposed to happen? On top of that, it doesn't make any logical sense for their interest to be to go after you other than, well, they hate your freedoms. Are we still actually pretending that makes sense? It says alarming surge in both the number of apprehended illegal immigrants on American terror watch list and the number of known gotaways slipping into the United States. There's been an increase. Again, terror watch list doesn't mean much, but these are so read that these are immigrants who are going through illegally that end up in this country, which, by the way, has been happening for a very long time. But there does seem to be an increase based on what I'm seeing. But I have a very hard time trusting a lot of these numbers, but I'm sure you can tell. Oh, you know what I forgot to say about that, too? I was just seeing the chat quickly going back to this point, or rather, well, I mean, technically, we're still on the point, but I started with the Uyghur conversation. I, I briefly said it, but to make it more clear, let's not forget that there's weird overlaps with Israel and the Uyghurs, leaders of these movements saying, I stand with Israel, which makes no sense when you think about the context of what's going on with Gaza, or the fact that you can see U.S. aid funding these groups. And Israeli groups funding the Uyghurs. Like, so my, that's what I was saying before, is either they're making this the reality or just simply fixating on a group that's already there to manipulate. Either way, it's the same point at the end. So when we can see the U.S. aid funding, it's almost always that what we think it is, because that group is a regime change entity. That's what they do. So back to this point. It says wars and espionage and bombings and riots are sadly familiar delivery systems of instability, intimidation, and security, writes the former FBI's. Yeah, you know why? Because they did that. In fact, that's what the USA does. That's what the CIA does. That's what the FBI does. Even in this country, mind you. They use riots, protests, and shootings, and they use it for instability, intimidation, and security. It's what they do. That's a matter of policy, and that's why they're either projecting or they see the same thing because they do it. The threat we call out today is new and unfamiliar. Not really, actually. The veterans of federal law enforcement explains the letter we already read to you from the former FBI agents. In, a, in its modern history, the U.S. has never suffered an invasion of the homeland. And yet, one is unfolding now. That is a very irresponsible way to put that. They, they, will, I, they may believe it. But the reality of making Americans think that they're being invaded when all you can prove is that there's immigrants coming through. 
Like even reading this letter and putting forward what they say, this is a hypothetical reality and they're pushing people to think that you're currently being invaded and now every immigrant is suddenly suspect. It's what they've always done to you, whether it's Muslims or Russians, they pitch you against your the, the people of the world for their benefit. Military edge men from across the globe, many from countries or regions not friendly to the United States, what so everybody, and landing in waves on our soil by the thousands. Town Hall watched along the U.S.-Mexico border over the weekend. Another group of illegal immigrants walked up to the border wall to surrender, claim asylum, and be processed. Okay, wait a minute. This is the kind of point that I keep making, where it's just become by default that anybody gravitating towards the border is an illegal. Well, that doesn't even make sense. If you haven't even crossed yet, how are you an illegal? How do you know how they would want to engage with that process? You don't. And so what they basically say here is they watch a group of illegals walk up to the border. So right there, that's ridiculous. What you saw is a bunch of people migrating, going up to the border. And you claim they surrender. So all they did is go to the people and say, okay, I'm here. Doesn't that by default mean that they weren't crossing illegally? Seeing as how they walked right up to the border. I mean, think about how ridiculous that is. But this is partisan media. That's how this works. Now, in no way am I trying to belittle the fact that there are a lot of illegal immigrants, but it's important that we don't just broad stroke these people. That's gross, racist, insensitive to what they're going through that your government's creating in some cases. That's what they keep doing. There's all illegals. I mean, in fact, that's what I think Michael Yawn's done more than once. But it says the 22 illegal immigrants, including four unaccompanied children and one single adult male seen entering by town hall. Doesn't that seem to challenge the narrative? They're all men. So the one time that when they're looking, watching, they see 22 illegal immigrants, really immigrants who engage with the process of the border. So not illegal, but four unaccompanied children and only one male. My point. So it's, clearly it's not all in one thing. I just think this is, I think we're being driven right now. I think it's very obvious. In fact, what's interesting is even people who disagree with my overall stance, like saying China may not be the one just as, as a hypothetical, I'm not saying it's not would also agree that it's weaponized migration, right? So it's, it's I, I definitely think we're supposed to see that. We're just supposed to allot it to something else. But if we all can recognize that it's being used, can't we at least ask whether it's your own government doing this in order to trap you in this kind of an agenda as one of the possibilities? We really should, guys. We really should. Because I very much believe that stuff, like, I, I'll just, I, th- I don't think I have it up, actually. Uh, like January 6th, are always used against you, right? You're being set up just like this, which is the most provable thing I've ever seen. And yet the entire system combines itself together to pretend like it didn't happen the way we know that it did. With Azov member movements screaming things in Russian. Here's his picture. That's Sergei Benin, uh, uh, Binion. Or uh, members of Antifa literally on record going, we tricked him, we got it. It's just so obvious. Town Hall watched, okay, and then it goes, uh, and will be released into the U.S. with an initial court date up to six or seven years from now. Now, if that's accurate, I don't think it's always six or seven years, but it's, I know it's been, it's gotten ridiculous. Now, that is crazy to me. I just don't understand how, like, obviously the points that are made are that this is a political agenda. Of course, with a two-party paradigm, it becomes the Democrats thinking that the migrants will vote for them, and that's why, I, that's not even the case anymore. Like, it's very clear. You ask them, most of them are, it's pretty intermittent. So that doesn't make sense. That's an old partisan talking point. So what's the point then? What's the logic of arguing that he, the Democrats or Biden's administration wants all these people in here? 
to destabilize, to justify the next step. Well, that applies to just your government. It's not about a left or right thing. But nonetheless, if somebody's coming in and they're like, like there's two ways to look at it. If somebody's caught like climbing the fence, they should be arrested. That's obvious. Not released back out and like, or, you know, the, but in this case, we have a lot of people who are coming under the guise or rather the statement that the administration is offering them asylum. I made this point the other day. Now, that is still arguably illegal because the law states otherwise, but this is the executive branch openly stating they're going to do this. So it really comes down to a partisan disagreement about the political outcome. So the average people back here are being swayed by these narratives. Yes, the Biden administration is doing something I think is dumb by just allowing people to flow through this with no real due diligence or rather just no process. But at the same time, it's not the broad illegal thing to march to the border to defend either. Not in my opinion. I think the real issue is about drawing you to this situation to justify the destabilization. But that doesn't mean we should ignore the problem. Just don't fall for their traps. Don't fall into the partisan games. It's very easy. A starting, a startling number, it says, have been found on the terrorist watch list. Same thing I read before, same point. They, and they, again, ask really what that means, right? I mean, there's people on the watch list that are, I mean, for crying out loud, there's independent media people on these lists, right, that are just simply saying the wrong things. It says, they note that the surge of lone military-aged men is particularly alarming in this, the, the, the FBI letter, in the light of the Hamas terror attack. Now, doesn't that seem ridiculous to you? Why would it be in the light of, what, what does that have to do with anything? You're now going to argue that because because an Israeli-funded entity to be the very thing that they are did what they're funded to do, whether they knew that was going to happen or not. In By the way, acting within a, a legally protected international law of, of armed rebellion before they committed crimes. Why would that suddenly drive Hamas or somebody else to, to attack through this border situation? There's really no logical connection other than just it works for scaring you about terrorism. It says terror leaders intentionally cultivate throngs of young men possessing a certain easily manipulated personality type to carry out atrocities. Yep, there again, telling you what they've been doing. That's them they're talking about, as well as other groups that do similar things. Here, just to give you an example. This is uh, the Free Thought Project wrote this. Matt Agarist, I believe. This is 2018. Parents, and this is a real story. It's, read this. It'll blow your mind how, how gross this is and how obvious it is. Parents catch the FBI in a plot to try to manipulate their mentally ill son who lives with them, doesn't drive, like he's like has the mental capacity of somebody not as an adult. They try to manipulate him into being a right-wing terrorist. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. And they catch him. And they still try to get there. They still try to prosecute. It's crazy to me. The point is, that is what they do. So, in, you know, cultivating young kids, I mean, it's, it's me, that is the proxy armies of the U.S. government. And an imitation of 10-7 and at the behest of a foreign terror group might be considered a distinct possibility. Why? I'd love to hear any logical connection between why, what happened over there and why you think somebody would be like, I'm just going to do the, you know, imitate. But here's what's interesting. Isn't that exactly what they're kind of recreating? There's a border problem. You're being warned about it. There's an eminent threat from a terrorist group that's going to break through your insecure border. And we're going, ah, whatever, we don't care. Isn't that exactly what Israel did? At least as the narrative goes, that stands out to me. Not, not as a reality, but as a manufactured discussion. It says such a threat seems like an obvious potential risk result of the lack of secure border. Yet, quote, this very real concern does not seem to be getting the focus it logically deserves. 
Remember all the IDF members going, this is coming. They're training. They're going to, and they go, go, I'm going to put, I'm going to arrest you if you keep bringing it up. Sounds very similar. The director of the FBI has correctly assessed an elevated threat since 10-7. Why? But relatively little discussion has followed highlighting unsecure borders as a significant cause of this increasing dangerous environment. It is a troubling concern that needs illumination, not avoidance. Right? So then all of a sudden, some false flag carries out like we might expect. And it all, it, it, you can see, think about how much that would change the conversation right now. Imagine they try to pretend that Hamas did some kind of an event that turned out to be a violent act. Do you know how much that would de- that would shift the conversation? Do you know how much more you would have Western entities deciding to support what Israel's doing? Do you not think that makes sense? That obviously you could see an Israeli interest in trying to create more support for a failing genocide that everybody's calling out? Just as one of the possible overlaps? It says they are not just from terror-linked regions, but from China and Russia as well. <laughs> okay. So it's just everybody everywhere. You choose which bad guy you think is most dangerous. They're in there. I'd love to see that. Hostile adversaries of the U.S. with aspirations to devastate national infrastructure. I mean, they're just projecting what they're doing all around the world, which doesn't mean it's not happening in reverse, but do you see any examples of it? When's the, what's the last country China, Iran, or Russia occupied, overthrew, destabilized, stole from? The way that the U.S. is doing it everywhere. Now, some, some abstracts, behind the scenes, nudge, nudge, we think that's what, or, you know, they're funding this group, which we can't prove. I mean, actual on the surface, stomping into a country under the guise of freedom, robbing, stealing, destabilizing, leaving in some cases and calling that saving for 50, for however long you want to look back. The chilling threat picture outlined by experts in this letter means the quote element of this recent surge are likely no accident or coincidence. Again, a surge based on what? What threat are you pointing at other than what happened in Israel that you have have any influence here? There's narratives they spin, but this doesn't have any basis in reality as far as I can tell. It says, and means the illegal immigrants streaming into the country are a potential operators in what appears to be an accelerated and strategic penetration, a soft invasion, they call it, designed to gain internal access to a country that cannot be invaded militarily in order to inflict catastrophic damage if and when enemies deem it necessary. So all this really creates, let's just say it's real. What does that do? Well, it creates an air of we're always at threat. We're always at risk. Anybody, anywhere could be one of them. And that's always where they want you. Even if it's real, understand, because now you're you're they're they're in charge. They're they're in control. They need to act to protect you. It's like it's like the war on terror all over again, except inward. Exactly what we told you would happen. Whitney and I have been trying to tell you that the war on domestic terror before that even came along was that it was now internal. I mean, even as she coined during COVID, that the the it's not, the war is now uh, how'd she put it? Your body is the new battlefield. Right. But it's the same kind of dynamic. We're watching this play out. Now, then think about this being not real. So the, the, the only threat is their use of this threat to take from you. Now, I think it's both. I think there's an overlap here. I think that they're very aware that we don't trust them and we question everything. So they use real threats like they have before. But either way, and I'm speaking hypothetically, really, because I don't know for sure. It's saying appears to be a strategic penetration, soft invasion, designed to gain. So you're saying that people are, are it, it, it deliberately trying to come through the border illegally, which, by the way, then means that they might not get through in some cases, but as the point is, most of them seem to be getting let through. And then they're 
recorded, right? They have their name, their face. Why wouldn't they do this in a different way? Like, do you realize you could just, I mean, people, let's just say this was an effort to actually influence, like they're saying, an internal invasion that's not in some immediate point, but still over time, right? When they deem necessary. Well, why would, there's a thousand ways that are monumentally easier and not on the surface. You see, the only time you have these things on the surface where you see Chinese people and they're pushing through is because they want you to see that. There's so many ways they could do this where it wasn't the obvious connection point where Chinese people means China. That they could do it in a way that you would never see using actual passports or getting through in ways that we never actually see that actually still happen or tunnels or whatever else. That's what would probably actually happen if this was really what they say it is. That's my opinion. My point is when we tend to see this very on the surface where all the things seem to connect just the way they're telling you it looks and it's a little too obvious and a little too simple and it works just, I mean, that we should see as a red flag. It says, quote, the country has been invaded. And an invasion that will continue as long as the nation's enemies perceive it will be tolerated. So it's just, it's just past. Right? We're now way past that. It's already done. They're here. They're everywhere. You don't know who they are. And it will continue that way until we do something about it. I don't, I feel like that's a little bit hard to take. Now, I recently talked about which is, by the way, pretty a good point to finish on this with. This is the guy that they, everybody on the right called the Azerbaijani terrorist. Right? Isn't that what they still pretend this guy is? He's not. It's easily proven that he wasn't the guy they said he was. But even so, where is that guy? If we're all told this is a terrorist from Azerbaijan, they got his face, his, his name, and the fact that he was going, you'll know me, I'm going to come. Did they arrest him? Did they go after these? Did they get him? Well, what happened? Are, is there a manhunt for the obvious terrorists? No. It just dropped off the media, right? Because that's not who he was. And I think what happened was very clearly, as we showed you in the show, thanks to, I forget who shouted it out, I forget his name off the top of my head, that this was actually a person who worked for Mossad. This was a Jordanian who was arrested in Egypt like a decade ago for recruiting for Mossad. And even on this video, he claimed he was from Palestine even though later, quietly in another video, he heard him say he was Jordanian. So that's very interesting, isn't it? It seems to be very obviously lined up with what they want you to think is happening. Palestine terrorists coming from Hamas, whatever else. And yet no one said a word about this anymore. Doesn't that seem strange? I think that there's something going on that is, I, you obviously know what I think. And I think this is, a, this is being done. And yet when we're pointing at only the two parts, it's either Russia or China, we're missing the reality. Just like with Russiagate, it was really Israelgate, and we're not talking about it. So I think we need to be on guard for stuff like this. And by the way, just on a quick last point, I thought this was sort of in the same vein as the carbon tax point. Here's what Elon Musk said seven hours ago. As a reminder, I am very much pro-increasing legal immigration significantly. I'm not anti-immigration. I'm just against a massive number of unvetted people flooding into America, which any rational person should be. Of course. I mean, any, the point with that is that if you disagree with that, you have an agenda, I would argue. You would, if you didn't, you would say, well, they should come through legally and be vetted. Of course, that's how immigration works. Nobody would disagree with it, but the first part is interesting to me. I don't know why anybody would want a, a significant increase in immigration, whether it's justified or not. That's always de a destabilizing factor. But my point is, Regardless of what Klaus Clandestine says, this is what Trump and his supporters have been saying the entire time. I disagree with that. I very much disagree with that. 
you know as well as I, whether that's what Trump thinks or not, that a huge portion of the right are acting like immigration is the problem. And this is my point. There's a very clear racist tone to this whole thing in some elements. I'm not trying to say the right in general. I don't think that. But there are very obvious elements of this that are being driven by hatred. And they're just all illegals, like a lot of the coverage I was just talking about. So I think it's very interesting that the people that are supporting Elon for those very reasons very much disagree with seemingly these core points. I just think that's interesting. Either way, I do feel like we're being played. In case you didn't catch that part. <laughs> now, to talk about Israel, again, in regard to both the latter part of the show, which will be about what's going on in Gaza, but specifically for a moment, Saudi Arabia and diplomatic immunity. I just found this really interesting. This is Lord Bebo pointing out, and I'll play the clip for you. It's about two minutes, two and a half minutes from the local discussion about the son of an Israeli diplomat who apparently, as they say, intentionally ran over a Miami cop. Think about that. And think about the conversation of the migrant discussion who just did something in the same vein. That's that's the talking point, which it should be. That's a crime. But where's this guy in the conversation? Isn't that telling? But they, they think he's going to be released because of his father's position. A teenager facing a judge accused of running over a police officer. We're learning the suspect is the son of a diplomat, and his attorney says he has immunity. Local 10's Christian De La Rosa is live in Sunny Isles Beach with the exclusive Christian. These are very serious charges against this young man, but we're learning these charges may end up being dropped because his father works for the Israeli consulate here in Miami. But this supposed immunity is under question tonight. This is 19-year-old Abraham Gill's mugshot. He was arrested after police say he ran over a cop. Sunny Isles Beach police say it happened over the weekend. The police report says an officer was conducting a traffic stop on Collins Avenue near 174th Street. The officer reportedly spotted Gill on a motorcycle weaving in and out of traffic and gave him loud, verbal, lawful commands to stop. The officer claiming not only did Gill ignore him, he says the young man on the motorcycle intentionally ran him over. The policeman survived, but detectives say his leg was incapacitated. Gill was arrested and charged for resisting an officer with violence and aggravated assault on a cop. But when he got to court, they let him go home. Mr. Wow. Gill is a diplomat son. He has consular immunity. Turns out Gill is a son My of Eli God. Gill, a consul for administration under the Consulate General for Israel in Miami. His attorney claiming, therefore, he has something called consular immunity. How is that possible? How in the world can you pretend like he can just get away with something he does, a crime, because of his father's job? It doesn't really, I don't understand how diplomatic immunity works anyway. I mean, I understand it. I don't understand why it makes sense. It's crazy to me because it's abused all over the place. Uh, I mean, the, the point I've made many times over the years is the, is the, the, the Omicron discussion. Because if you remember, that showed up in Botswana after four diplomats with diplomatic immunity came through, which means they can carry whatever they want without being checked. And then all of a sudden, Omicron blows up in Botswana and they pretend it starts in South Africa. So they skip right over where it actually started. But you can prove I've done it many times. Botswana's government posted about it. There's all, it's, it's abused just like that. This is a little different, though.
from criminal jurisdictions. The immunity that's given to diplomats and their families when they're stationed here in the United States. But this immunity privilege may not apply to all categories of diplomatic workers and their families. Or all crimes for that matter. Like the idea that you could pretend that they're just like immune from prosecution, that's, that's, it's ridiculous. It does not make sense. I guess what the the argument is supposed to be that they're going to be held accountable in their own country, which doesn't happen. Says legal analyst David Weinstein. Diplomatic immunity is not given to people who are called consular officials. And those are people who are not the head diplomatic agent of a foreign country here in the United States. So there is a distinction. Wow. So we've been reaching out to the Israel. Oh, the point sounds like they just abuse this. They 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 don't technically have diplomatic immunity because they're consular. It's not as he said. It doesn't apply to the consul position. So they made the allegation, and apparently, through whatever political influence they had, got this kid off for running over a police officer intentionally. Really consulate here in Miami for the reaction and to ask them directly if they believe this consular immunity applies in this case so far. Their comment has been no comment. Right, of course. Levin- because there's no follow-up because you got the Israeli diplomat son off of a crime and, and that's what happens. It's over now. Well, just in case you think this is unique, let me show you something. Oh, actually, these should be go after this. Hold on. Well, that one does. So we talked about this a while ago. This is something, this was a show I did. Or is it an article? Actually, I, wrote, I think I wrote an article on this one. Nice. It's been a while. Oh, no, excuse me. Zero Hedge posted this. This is, uh, it's titled Rich Saudi Students Vanishing Across the U.S. After Kingdom Makes Bail on Rape and Manslaughter Charges. And worse than that, Oregon Live is the one that broke this down. And you can look at the, I mean, this was a map that looks like it's almost defunct now. I don't know. It used to be more. The point is showing you these different dots just in Oregon, showing you Saudi entities that were caught for doing things as serious as rape, murder. And not only they get away scot-free, they, they fly home. No problem. And the government allows it. Down here via Oregon Live. And this is just from, two, this is back in 2019. You can only imagine what's happened since. Listing off all these different examples, you can just see all these. These are all people that are that are caught. For example, Mohammed, uh, this guy's Al Zoibi is a student at Cape Breton University, Brenton, when he faced numerous charges of sexual assault, assault, and forcible confinement of a woman, with an with the alleged incidents occurring between 2015 and 2017, according to the Star Halifax newspaper. He received $37,500 of of his bail from the Saudi embassy in Ottawa, Canada. In early December, Canadian sheriff tried to find him, but he was nowhere to be found. His attorney told the authorities the Saudi man had fled the country some time ago. Case closed. Over and over and over. And this is not in a vacuum. Your government allows this. And that's the main point. Here's the actual article from Oregon Live. Not just Oregon. Saudi students in at least eight states and Canada vanish while facing criminal charges, never to be charged again. Here's daily, This is the Daily Beast, 2019. Five Saudi students accused of rape, murder, hit and runs, fled Oregon before the trial. It's all just generally the same point. This one's ProPublica. Same point. Accused of serious crimes, get to flee the country while U.S. officials look the other way. 
It's just so grotesque, the kind of double standards that exist with these kind of crimes. And in case you think that's unique to these individuals, this was an article Whitney Webb wrote in 2018. And this is on the record. You can see, you can find, the quote is in the article, you can look for yourself. Mohammed bin Salman wants Yemenis to, quote, shiver for generations when they hear the words, they hear the word Saudi Arabia. And he vows to continue targeting children. That was what he said. Because they told him to stop killing kids. That was his response. Right? Sort of like when you tell Israel, stop murdering everybody. They tell you we're going to go harder. And everyone goes, okay. I guess that's how it works. Has, they ever, has Saudi Arabia ever been held accountable for the actual genocide committed against Yemen? No. Still, still, in some cases, still happening. The starvation campaign is still there. Not as what, what it was at its peak. But they are still keeping this country impoverished. Bombing whatever they want, whenever they want. The U.S. government happily plays their role, leading it, of course. Now, Anthony Blinken says, of course, urgently addressing humanitarian needs in Gaza and advancing stability in the Middle East are priorities we share with Saudi Arabia. Does it sound like it? Does it sound like that they are actually what they pretend they're doing in the world or that it's just the way they, the Saudi Arabia has recognized the shtick of the United States government? I get it. We pretend we're good people. We scream freedom and act like we care about human life, and then we could do whatever we want. Yeah, exactly. They got it. He, sp- they, he spoke with the, four, the uh, I think it was the foreign minister, to discuss my upcoming trip to the region and the efforts to advance regional peace and security. In other, way, in other words, destroy everyone that doesn't agree with us and destabilize country. That's what they do. But what's interesting, Blinken, even though this is, you know, meaningless statements, words. What he's saying is addressing the humanitarian needs in Gaza urgently. Israel does not like that. And this is a huge shift from there's nothing wrong. There's no merit. We think they're doing everything they can. So my point is, do you not think that Israel would be worried about that? Knowing that the the second that the United States government feels enough pressure to stop helping them, that this will end. What do you think they would do to make sure that continues? Just think about that. Or rather not continues, but make sure that they would they would continue supporting them and stop saying things like that. I think you know what they would be capable of doing. Now let's finish with the discussion of Israel. More so. Here's a, a, a prominent writer for Haaretz and, and vocal critic of Israel, Gideon Levy. Just telling you the reality of Israel. I was born in Israel. I even perceive myself as an Israeli patriot. I care about Israel. I belong to Israel. I'm attached to Israel. Don't speak about Symmetria because there is no Symmetria. I would even suggest that there is no conflict. Was there a French-Algerian conflict? There was a brutal French occupation in Algeria, which came to its end. And there is no Israeli-Palestinian conflict. There is a brutal Israeli occupation which must come to its end one way or the other. In our backyard, there is a regime which is today by far one of the most cruel, brutal tyrannies on earth. And I know what I say because I cover it for 40 years. And this regime cannot be defined but as an apartheid. Two peoples live on one piece of land. One people has all the rights in the world, and I'm talking now only about the occupied territories. One people has all the rights in the world. The other people has no rights whatsoever. It lo- and don't forget how often you hear the opposite. 
right? He, this is an Israeli who, know, who, who lives there, who is proud to be an Israeli, who will tell you that Arabs do not have the rights, that they say that Israel pretends they do. They just don't. But they lie about it. All the screamers on Twitter will lie about it every day. Looks like apartheid. It talks like apartheid. It is apartheid. And nobody can contradict it. Go to the Jordan Valley. See the prosperity in the settlements. And then go and see the Palestinians who live there without electricity, without water, without any rights. And then tell me if it's apartheid or you might invent it another title. Now, important thing he said right there that most people don't talk about, which is a really good, important point. If you think this is about Israel, uh, the, the Palestinian people, right? Not like that's just they just don't care and they take the money and they give it to Hamas and whatever the narrative they say, which we can prove aren't true. You have the Jordan Valley, which are just other refugee camps. All right, it's the same concept. These are camps that were created because they were displaced from their land. That's the whole point. And that they, they, they're still refugees because they were never allowed to come back. They try to pretend like the fact that they're still refugees after all this time means that that's their fault. No, you've never allowed them the right of return, which, by the way, is an international, it's international law. That's required, and they're breaking that law like everything else. The point is that in the Jordan Valley, they're prosper, you know, they're, they're, it's better, much, much better as they are continuing to grow and thrive because they're not under the boot of the Israeli government. It's, it's very easy. And we even have prominent Israelis who will speak up and tell you what's going on and people still push back. Why? Desperation. Here is Mohammed Safa, who is accredited at the United Nations Geneva office. And we, we've been, he's been prominent in speaking up what's going on there. He's a diplomat telling you over 100,000 Gazans, Palestinians are either dead, injured, or missing and presumed dead. So the point is, I think generally right now, actually we could double check with Euromed monitor. I'll do it later. They, that the last uh, graphic I saw from them was the middle of J uh, January. So 32,000. And that that's including the estimate of what they think is under the rubble. So it's not, it's not exact, but when you take the dead, the injured, which is like 60, 70,000 missing, presumed dead, it's well over a hundred thousand people. So just think about the effect we're seeing. And then the rest of them almost nearly entirely are displaced. And we're going to get to the point where now they're beginning to tell you that Rafa is the next location they're going after. Why? Because Hamas is there? Man, who cares? We're, they're not even claiming that anymore. We're just telling you we're not, We're going after Rafa next. That's what they're telling you. So it's Khan Yunus from one location to the next. We're going to drive you there. We're going to bomb there. We're going to bomb you on the way. Now it's Rafa. Where, where's Rafa next? We're going to push you into Egypt. That was always the plan. And they're going to force the world to say we have to because they're going to kill them anyway, as if that's the only choice. As, as we're screaming, we know they're killing them all, but the best thing is to move them over to Egypt. So the point becomes, we know how sociopathic, how psychopathic these groups are. They're going to keep murdering them all. So it's a moral obligation to give in to what they want, which is displace them even more. Hardly. That's the last thing that should happen. Palestinians don't want to leave. We should stop the, the murderer. In any other context, that's what happens. Over 19,000 children in Gaza are now orphaned and have ended up alone with no adult to look after them. As he writes, a holocaust is happening right before our eyes and the world is silent. Middle East Eye Point, and this is more of the specific numbers. Again, the 26,000 number is what they know for sure is dead, not counting what they're estimating on, and those numbers vary depending on the location. Gaza death toll rises to 26,900. U.S. confirmed strikes against 10 Ansarallah locations. 
Israel, quote, almost systematically denying aid deliveries, according to uh, Doctors Without Borders. I guess they're Hamas or racist or whatever else too, right? So every group under the sun, other than Biden and like, what, the couple of countries now supporting you still? Everybody else is a racist anti-Semite who hates Jews and just all that, they support Hamas and whatever else, right? How simple that is? The schools and the hospitals and the ambulances and the UN and they're all Hamas. Amazing, the influence they suddenly have around the world, right? It's insulting to your intelligence. They are denying aid deliveries while pretending they're flying through, like Eli David would tell you online. This is an important clip, actually. So one of these guys has the courage to actually point this out. And you can see it on the guy's face. It's almost like he's coming freshly aware. I'm not familiar with his work, but that he's stricken by this. You know, like you just said uh, that, that you were worried about civilians. We are now at this level. And the way he responds, it's just gross because of how, how just, it's just methodical. Well, we speak with our counterparts and we tell them we care. and We tell them they need to do everything they can. It, it means nothing right now. Okay, are you going to say that again when another 30,000 are killed? Well, we spoke to our counterparts and we told them they need to do more to, to protect civilians. It's just painful. And yet they just keep doing it. December, in your speech uh, at the Reagan uh, Library, you told Israeli leaders they have to protect civilian lives in Gaza. Since that speech, 12,000 more Palestinians have been killed. <coughs> We're now at 27,000 killed. Why are you still supporting this war when this government that is the most extreme in the history of Israel led by someone who refuses to recognize any political right for the Palestinians right. and with elements that are calling for uh, ethnic cleansing and displacement of Palestinians. Do Palestinians have the right to dignity, as you said in Angola when I was with you on the trip, you said the future belongs to those who protect dignity, not trample it. 12,000 have been killed since he says they need to protect civilians. 12,000. This is his response. Yeah. Um, I said that in the speech at the Reagan Forum. Uh, that I, was like he was asking him right there, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, you did. I've said that to my counterpart, Minister Gallant, every time that I talk to him. See? And I talk to him every week. Okay, uh, so you tell him dignity matters every time. And then they go out and murder children. And you see him the next day and you go, make sure you care about dignity. Yeah, I got it. And he goes out and kills 20,000 more. What, at what point do you realize that you're ridiculous? Or that you don't care. Uh, and I, I emphasize the importance of uh, protecting uh, civilian lives. Okay, so you say it's important to protect civilian lives. And then they go out and they kill a bunch of children. The next day you meet them. You go, hey, I told you it's important to care about civilian lives. And they go, we know. And they go out and kill a bunch of doctors. Bomb a hospital. At what point do you realize they don't care what you're saying or that you don't care? I also emphasize the importance of uh, providing humanitarian assistance to uh, the Palestinians. It it's the same exact point. Same thing. It's not happening. So just because you keep stressing that they need to care and they go, yep, 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 we got it. And they don't do it. See, it's, it's the same point. I mean, is, is it, it's like, I don't know how anybody anywhere, a kindergartner can see how obvious this is. And that's what I really think is happening. That's, I think, where we really are right now. Every single person who's in any way paying attention either agrees that it doesn't matter that Palestinians get any help at all and hate them and want them to, and so they don't matter, they don't care. We'll go along with whatever narrative because Palestinians shouldn't exist. Or they see this as genocide. 
I just don't see how there's any middle ground in this. It's critical. It's it's really important. Uh, this is uh, there's no question that this is a tough. There's been a tough uh, conflict, uh, but we're as I've said earlier, we are starting to see uh, the Israelis kind of shift their stance and and change their approach to a more uh, focused uh, and uh, um, uh, controlled. Well, Control is probably not the right word, but a more wow. focused effort. Uh, focused on a discrete set of objectives. Wow. Uh, and so um, I think... Uh, He's drowning. Drowning. Discreet? What is that? What is discreet? What are they secretly killing people now? Like, what are you talking about? Like, this guy is fumbling right now. He has nothing to say. Focused? So four months after a massive genocide and 30,000, well, now we're going to focus in. My God, what's that going to look like? I mean, it's just so painful. And no, they're not, by the way. They're still bombing wherever they want and pretending like, I mean, look, I don't even see these operations they claim are going on. I think they are bombing all over the place and flooding tunnels and just pushing people out, which, by the way, means they're killing their own hostages like we should all know by now. And that's his response. You know, we, we talked to him about that uh, weeks ago, uh, and uh, they said they were going to do that, and they are doing that. But I, wow. I will continue to emphasize, and I know Secretary Blinken and President Biden. Yeah, they've all said that we emphasize the same things over and over, and it doesn't change. We'll continue to emphasize the importance of addressing the issue of the Palestinian people. Uh, it- <laughs> oh, God. 75 years. We want to stress the importance. So do you think after all this time, if they don't recognize the importance of their lives, that by you stressing that tomorrow, that they'll suddenly go, oh, oh, I didn't even think about that. Just, it's, this is insulting to your intelligence. It's critical. And, uh, you know, we're doing more, uh, but, but we're not doing enough. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. My God, that was painful. And I simply said, these people say the same thing every single time. You can tell by his response that he knows he's lying. Which, by the way, some of them are better at hiding that. The facts on the ground show that he's lying. The Israeli government statements show that he's lying. The International Court of Justice says he's lying. Yet, they protect the genocide at all costs. Here, we'll actually start with this. This is Congressman Brian Mast, who doesn't think that the children, the babies, are innocent, if they're Palestinian, of course. Which, by the way, is exactly what the Israeli, multiple Israeli politicians said publicly. That it's their fault. Children, like babies, infants. Remember, this is the fl- congressman of the United States who put on his IDF uniform. It wasn't a stunt. He's in the IDF. Do you know of any other entity that is allowed to be in a foreign government's military? I don't know why that's not the craziest thing in the world, but apparently it doesn't matter if you claim it. Otherwise, you're a racist. So the Israeli government would tell you. Here he is speaking to his constituents and could care less what they have to say. You're heartless. You Do you realize how heartless you are? You better kill all the terrorists and kill so just $452,000 from pro-Israel lobbies. Just pretend like that doesn't influence his talking point. It says, I would be better if you kill all the terrorists. Kill everyone who wants who, who are supporters. So he literally just rationalized killing everybody a Palestinian who supports Hamas. So the same argument from before, well, you voted for them, so you're responsible. Except that doesn't apply 
anywhere else or us for sure, right? Oh, well, you voted for, for Biden, so therefore you're, we can just murder you because we deem you bad guy or vice versa. Far more in the other reverse, I think. Think about that statement, though. So they're not allowed to support people who you disagree with and you're willing to murder them because they have an opinion you don't like? This is a, this is a, a Lindsey Graham level of stupidity. It's not a solution. It's a great solution to kill everybody we disagree with. These are not innocent Palestinian civilians. She said, you see all the babies being killed? His response, these are not innocent Palestinian civilians. This is what it looks like to be paid to be stupid. You think he really believes that? I mean, I don't know how anybody, I mean, it's certainly possible. That makes him a, a like, horrifyingly bad person. I think it's because he's being paid. Innocent Palestinian civilians across the world. When you're looking at the half a million people starving to death are people that should go out there and put a government in. Oh, should they? So the people starving to death should have built a government, right? While they have no access to everything they're supposed to need to do that, right? Or are you supposed, are you arguing they should put up a resistance to the terrorist group that Israel's funded to stop what they are trying to do, right? Like, fight, fight them out of the way? Like just the, the lunacy of arguing that, the, that it's their fault that Israel funded a terrorist group in their location that they were put in and can't leave from. Or, or in, let's just say it's an organic situation that somehow they're responsible to change the dynamic when they don't have any funding. Israel controls literally everything that comes and leaves this location and doesn't give them the things they need to actually grow and change, which has been proven by the UN a hundred times over. But I forgot the UN is Hamas now, so we ignore that. This man is a lunatic. In place that doesn't go out there and attack Israel on a daily yeah, and you would never hear him acknowledge the obvious fact that Hamas was funded by Israel. Right, that's the point, too. We're talking about what the infants, children that have nothing to do with this. You can't do, even if you agree with his entire argument, there are innocent people that are trapped in that situation. And his argument is kill them all because the, their parents didn't vote the right way. They destroyed more infrastructure in Gaza than they did in Dresden. So that is like the and there's more infrastructure they, that they destroyed. He just said that. So the point is that in this situation where you're pretending you're pinpoint targeting Hamas and not flattening the area for settlements that are going to go up, they're telling you their vote that everyone's cheering about and their own ministers are calling for. He says there's more infrastructure that needs to be destroyed. You realize how crazy this is? Like, these people need to go to prison. Like, these are the kind of maniacs that they point out everywhere around the world. You just called for a war crime openly for infrastructure civilian, not because Hamas is there. He just blatantly said it. There's more infrastructure needs to be destroyed. How much you want to bet? He's well aware of the settlement projects and the fact that he probably has interest in them. Just my opinion. Either way, he didn't say Hamas. He said the infrastructure. He's a part of the problem. More of Gaza than what happened in Did you not hear me? There's more than that that needs to be destroyed. There's more that needs to be destroyed. And there will be more that gets destroyed. Wow. More than what? Looks like 60% of the entire population. Like, actually, I have got, uh, let's see. I've got the image right here. I had it from something else earlier. Oh, there's actually a video I'm going to play next that, where it comes from. But this is the image I've shown you before. That's Gaza Strip. The red? Not If you saw ev just everywhere they bombed, it would be 80% of that map. 
This is just damaged buildings since October 7th. And, and many of these are completely gone. Just take a look at that map and you tell me that is anything other than just, just deliberate bar- carpet bombing destruction. I mean, I'm trying to like mentally look at that. I think last time, like it, that's a very, at the least 50%. There's no way that that is justifiable. It's not. And we all know that if we're being honest with ourselves. And that's why this guy is being paid to disagree. Oh, that was the end of it anyway. So here's a video. And it, again, dressing up in his IDF uniform. It's, there's just no way to pretend that any, any, he, he aligned this with like AOC with a flag or whoever it was. Not the same thing as supporting a flag. You are part of a foreign government's military. I don't care if that was Belgium or Britain or, or Germany or Israel. It's a problem. Obviously, you have interests that overlap as a member of Congress. So also to that very point, and it's, this is specifically about contractors. Like, remember, we saw the Texas discussion. I think it was after Hurricane Harvey. Which, again, there's Abbott for you, who's a rabid Zionist, very aggressively anti-BDS, which means anti-your constitutional rights. In that state, they had people sign documents that swore they would not boycott Israel before they got aid because of a hurricane. That's just impossibly crazy. And what she points out is in most U.S. states, there are laws that actually require you to sign an Israel loyalty oath to work as a contractor. In the, in the United States, you have to swear that you will have loyalty to a foreign government to be able to, a contractor in Georgia, for example. These are very real. Doesn't that scare anybody? She says, I sued Georgia over this free speech violation. She did, and she won. After that, actual Israeli government officials intervened to restate the, reinstate the law in the United States. Not some congressional process. Foreign government entities intervened in the state to reinstate the law in your country. Guys, recognize how alarming that is. And here she is speaking on this in 2022. She pushed back and she won, at least in her own specific dynamic. But everybody else after her who doesn't have the power to push back are stuck swearing a loyalty oath to a foreign government to be able to work in their own state. I just don't know why we can't recognize how dangerous this is. Now, I don't see that happening with China. Do you? Are there, gov- are there states demanding you swear an oath to China to work in your government or to work in your, co- to, to be a contractor, to get aid from a, from a hurricane problem? No. Doesn't mean it's not exactly what the Republicans are saying is happening, but it sure as hell should give you pause to recognize there's an obvious example that is far more invasive right now that we don't seem to care about. Now, Biden spoke up. And I just, I just honestly can't believe he said this. It's embarrassing, which I think I've already pointed to, but I wanted to reiterate it, where he says, I, when they, he was asked, which, by the way, I'm not going to play it just because it's, it's, I can just read it, but watch the way he walks up to this. It's so embarrassing how, how this guy is. Just watch him. I don't need to explain it. Look at him. I mean, I think he's about to go for his glasses, like it's what he does, but look at how, like, this is just anybody anywhere in the world, no matter how well they're dressed, you see a man walking up like that, you're like, whoa, this guy's got, he's struggling. Uh, like he's like, it's just so bad. It's so embarrassing. Hardly that guy is not in control of anything. But it says, I. They asked him, you know, on on Iran, what do you think? Which really, what we're talking about is the PMU. But he says, I do hold them responsible. Well, they, oh, I guess excuse me, he's talking about Iran. I do hold Iran responsible in regard to the PMU acting in Iraq and Syria. 
He says, in a sense, that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it. I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking for, which I've referenced before, which is why he's claiming he's not going to bomb Iran, which, by the way, is lunacy. I already knew he wasn't going to do. But the obvious, I can't believe he actually said that. But I'm sure that somehow doesn't apply to the U.S. funding of Israel's genocide, right? Or Ukraine's ongoing ethnic cleansing of untold war crimes or arming the moderate rebels in Syria, right? Who turned out to be the actual worst extremist we know, right? And on and on and on. Totally doesn't apply, though, right? We hold them accountable because they gave the weapons to the person who did it. I just, it's just painfully hypocritical. There's a thousand examples around the world of the U.S. government giving weapons to the worst people alive and then acting like they have no responsibility to what happens. But of course, that guy does. Now, the Israeli's defense minister, as I said before, is openly telling you, this was yesterday, the next step is for Rafa. Not because Hamas is there, but because that's where we're going to go next. So you, you realize how clear this has gotten. And the corporate media is still being passive about this. As much as they're in some ways calling out things that I think they're out of desperation to maintain some level of clout. But look at that. They're going to Rafa, just like they were going to Khan Yunus, not because there was bombs or Hamas, but because this is a coordinated plan. And Israel defense minister, I think it's Gallant, is openly, openly telling you these things. They have just hold the mask off at this point. Now, this is a great video showing that the image I showed you before. Israel's defense minister saying he's targeting Rafa. And this is this person's video I'm not familiar with, but kind of pointing out his thoughts on this and showing you as all of these things have gone, where they're now bombing or planning to bomb the designated safe zone. And don't forget, in a New York Times investigation and Haaretz following up on that investigation, both proved to you that Israel is knowingly using the most destructive bombs, the 2,000-pound dumb bombs, provided by the United States to specifically bomb the areas that they were just told were safe. We've proven this in a thousand different directions now. The UN's pointed it out. UNRWA's pointed it out. Haaretz has even pointed it out. They're bombing the places they tell them to go to. That's how obvious this has all gotten. It's beginning to really, really be hard for me. That not just that these people know this and they are trying to conflate it, but that they've even begun being honest about what they're doing and we point to it and still it doesn't stop. This is getting, the point for, this is where it's getting for me right now is it's not about the people who are obfuscating this. There is a massive amount of people out there that are not doing anything. They're not speaking up and you see it. We know you see it. Do something about it. We need this to stop. Here's something which I just can't understand how it doesn't drive any decent thinking person insane. This is a map of the Gaza Strip, which incidentally shows the obscene extent of the damage to buildings and infrastructure. I could talk about this the entire video, but let's just leave it at that for the moment. So in the beginning, Israel told people to evacuate this part over here, the north, where most people live. That's where Gaza City is. So they did, and then Israel destroyed it. Same thing for central Gaza. At that point, millions of people had done what they had been told to do by Israel, which is to flee to the south here. And then what does Israel do? They tell people that they're about to invade Hanunis, which is in the south here, and tell all of those already displaced people, plus the residents of Hanunis, to flee to the extreme south in Rafah. Now remember, guys, every time these people move, they're, mar they're marching you know, 10, 20 kilometers. And then they have to live. 
And you've seen some of these really, you know, almost inspiring videos of, of mothers that have created like these tents that almost look like homes. They build that and 30 seconds later, they're, ah, you have to get out of here. Half the time, they can't even grab their things. They rush them out and say, well, you have to get out of here. We're going to kill you all. And every single time they have to recreate whatever small sem, you know, semblance of life they've created over and over and over. And we're not even talking about the original Nakba and the original displacement and then it happening again and de demolishing their homes over the last 75 years. We're talking about the repeated examples of just the last four months over and over and over. There's no way that's acceptable. Or logical to think that this is the right thing to do, to fight the bad guys and continually bomb the people you claim you're trying to protect. They then come in and destroy Khanunas. And now, what do they do? Done what they had been told to do by Israel, which is to flee to the south here. And then what does Israel do? They tell people that they're about to invade Khanunas, which is in the south here, and tell all of those already displaced people, plus the residents of Khanunas, to flee to the extreme south in Rafah. They then come in and destroy Khanunas. And now... So hear that part. It's important. Under the argument, they get out of the way. We're going to bomb this place. And then they all went out of the way and they just didn't do anything. See, because they got what they wanted. The people out of the way. It's not about Hamas. It's about going after Palestinians and displacing them out of the country. What do they do? They announce that they're going to invade Rafah next, which is the end of the line. There's nothing south of it for Palestinians to flee to. So to summarize, they've swept through the entire strip, destroying everything, lying to people, saying that they should flee further south where they would be safe, and then proceeded to invade further and further south and destroying those places as well. They've made sure that they've rendered every place that they've passed uninhabitable. And who the hell knows what's going to happen once they finally finish the job and invade Rafa. Of course, I'm not even going to get into the facts that they've repeatedly bombed the places that they told people to flee through and to throughout this entire process. Now, how does this death march, essentially, that they've sent Palestinians on towards the south cause little to no outrage? I mean, if you're a political leader yeah, in the US, in the UK, in Europe, how do you not say enough is enough? Do not invade Rafa. There's literally nowhere else for people to go. Shame on them. Shame on them a thousand times. Exactly. I mean, it, it's, it really is unparalleled. I don't understand. Even though the, these are bad people that don't care. My point is that they know that everybody's beginning to see it. That's why these corporate media platforms and even the U.S. government are starting to go, well, well you need to do more. Or yes, I urgently need you to do more. That's them doing the, their meek effort to look like they care. They don't. His point, though, is that how is it possible we can watch this just ongoing four-month genocide, this slow-rolling, you know, slow-motion train wreck? I mean, not even really. It's like a fast-action, never-ending train wreck. I, it, it just shows you that we live in a time where these are the bad people. They don't actually care. They were willing to use your emotional investment to manipulate you into anything. And that's that seems like the majority, but it's the leadership, the uh, rather the rulership, because <laughs> these people are not real leaders. That is not that difficult to change, to be quite honest, because it's really about the momentum of who, like, they know that when the population stand up, that they're worried. And that's why they're trying to shut us back down. Censorship, manipulation, scare tactics, div divide and conquer on the border. I believe that. Using real things. But realize, guys, this is a time, I've never seen this before, where so many people can see the real problem. They'll do anything 
to get you looking somewhere else. Here's what John Spencer said. And rather, this is the this is again after everything we've already just talked about today, let alone since the beginning of this. This was New York. This was Newsweek. Israel implemented more measures to prevent civilian casualties than any other nation in history. That's John Spencer who wrote that. We should all collectively laugh at how stupid this person is. This person says, "Hey, John, have you seen this piece by Yuval from Nine Seven Two Magazine?" It's an in-depth, this is the one we've talked about, a mass assassination factory where IDF members admit they're murdering people with no justification. He says, it's an in-depth piece which provides a lot of nuanced criticism of the measures you describe in your article. The best, a concerned IDF veteran. He doesn't care. This guy's job is not to be honest, right? The point is, this is an IDF member who's going, pay attention, bud. You're ridiculously wrong. They're killing people. They're admitting they're killing people. And you're writing articles to hide that. You're complicit in genocide. This one just breaks my heart. Here's Mr. Propaganda, Mr. Eli David. I can't even, this is the kind of desperate measures they're taking right now. And I mean desperate, like the definition of it. So right now, as I said, as we can all see, people are overwhelmingly beginning to pay attention to this. And yet, here's a video he puts out. Dear Palestinians, I mean, I don't even know how you think this is going to hold water for anybody. He says, this is Gaza before October 7th. This is going to, this is, it's going to insulting and hilarious at the same time. He says, with billions in humanitarian aid, you could have turned it into Singapore. You mean the, the aid that was being given to the Hamas leadership by Israel or the fact that these things were being controlled by Israel regardless, as even the UN has made clear? Who cares about facts, right? He says, instead, you elected Hamas, which was not what happened in 2006. It was a plurality, not a majority. So even the argument that they all did it was not true, 46%. And that was an election that I don't even know why we think is legitimate. And since then, they've never had another one. And it's been this whole process where we can see that Israel is using them and funding them and arming them to keep it destabilized. And yet, just for the sake of making sure you know that's real, bear with me for those that see me bring this up a thousand times. For those that are new to the show, just remember that Haaretz, two days after October 7th, posted this article. It's more in-depth than the article. But the quote, Anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state, which is what they pretend they've always wanted, even at this time, has to support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. That's our strategy. Two days after October 7th, they published that. Why? Because you must understand the full context. Israel was funding this group to destabilize, to pretend that that's why they didn't want a two-state solution, even though they the ones that put them there to keep it this way, or rather just built them into what they are. That's important. Now, this is the video he shares, claiming that just on October 6th, this is what it looked like. How is that even possible? Yeah, those are the what the the boats of the Palestinians were in case you know when they don't get shot by the IDF who randomly change the nautical amount they're allowed to go out right. I just this is just it's it's independent from reality. Now, let's just, you know, just, let's just pretend it didn't, but pretend it looked like this just before October seventh. Now, obviously, there are select shots that are, in some cases, what it looks like. My point is. Why would it not look like that today? Are you, are you suggesting Hamas is bombing the location? No, Israel has flattened it all. 
Now, you can argue that's because Hamas, but you're, you just pretend that everything they do from now forward forever is Hamas's fault. Therefore, we blame it on them, even though Israel's the one bombing, killing their own people, killing the Palestinians, flattening all the infrastructure. So it's their fault, regardless of whether it's due to Hamas actions. But even then, my point is most of these shots are, are manipulated or, or shots of things that are, are dishonestly showing you a frame that doesn't include the, the ghettos of the Gaza open-air prison. Like, look at this. You get the point. It goes on like this forever. I mean, this is insulting. You realize the kind of horrible, like, there's not a word strong enough the kind of despicable person that would frame this this way while you're knowingly hiding the open genocide that's being carried out on these people and knowing that your government has allowed the destruction and the siphoning of everything they ever were and you blame it on and, and pretend like it was it was a paradise the day before October 7th and here's how somebody responds actually looks great before the unnecessary war again literally that it looked different just before October 7th and could have brought in money, jobs, economic expansion to benefit all Palestinians. Sure. Of course, if you omit the reality that the Israeli government was stepping on their necks and destroying everything they ever were and stealing all the money and giving it to the people they used to destabilize them, but sure, why not? Unfortunately, he says, we know what ended up happening. We hear the reasons why, but for many, it makes no sense. My God. But my point is, guys, that this is desperate. And all it's really doing is serving to show people how ridiculous they are. I really think that's what's happening. Now, Wyatt Reed, quick point kind of on the overlap of UNRWA to kind of, for the most part, wrap up, points out last week, EU nations cut off funding to Gaza's main aid supplier, you know, while they're starving them to death because it's previously employed a few since filed alleged, since fired alleged Hamas members. Never even, the point is that even the research by the Israeli media showed you that it was flimsy at best, a bunch of insinuations and uh, torture-derived statements. And even then, they fired them and then did their investigation. The point is, I think even the Sky News broke it down to being like one person, like ultimately four people at best that they're alleging that might make sense because one's dead, one was never UNRWA. It's just, it's already been broken down to show you that most of it was a lie, even if the core allegation was true, and that's not provable. And even then, it's not surprising that there might be some overlap to a group that is in this area. But my point is that they've defunded the entire 30,000-person entity while they're starving these people. But it says this week, EU nations announced that they're sending $50 billion to Ukrainian army, which, by the way, is still home to thousands of swastika-covered Nazis. But no big deal. All makes sense, right? Think about that. You pull it off the allegation they work with a group that, by the way, Israel funded to be that way while funding openly an entity that Israel also funds that are openly extremist, openly authoritarian, openly fascist, and in many cases, actual Nazis, which is the case. Here's the example I've shown before. Rights groups. Now, of course, it's behind a paywall now. You ask yourself why they would randomly put an old article behind a paywall. It's because it's not something they want you to pay attention to because it's, been gotten, it's gotten a lot of attention because of people like me. But here, I'll put it on the Wayback Machine for you guys and I'll include it rather the archive. It's important that you read this. I think it's hilarious they try to lock this stuff. But here's the back way, uh, archive. Rights groups demand Israel stop arming neo-Nazis. That might seem confusing to somebody new, but it shouldn't be when you understand the reality. And the point is we're talking about the Azov movement. 
It's saying a group of more than 40 human rights activists have filed a petition with, with Israel's government, the high court, and saying, stop arming neo-Nazis. They argue these weapons serve forces that openly espouse neo-Nazi ideology, which we all know. And they cite the evidence of specifically the Azov movement. The point is Israel defended this. They continue or have continued to fund them. The point, and we'll come back to UNRWA in one second. The point is this is not very hard to understand. Actually, we should even start with this one, which I know somebody in the audience doesn't like, but I do think this is a very valid and important point. As Dan Cohen points out, Ezra Yachin, who is this guy right here, who is the oldest living Israeli, you know, the uh, reservist, who then spoke up on an interview and said, these animals can no longer live. We have to kill every single one of them. Not Hamas, but all Palestinians. He was very clear about that. The point is, he's a member of the Lehigh Party, the Zionist terrorist group, which again, they on the record, you can look it up, I think even Wikipedia, they called their own people terrorists at the time. I know it sounds crazy, but if you, it's very clear. They, they maybe had a different connotation. But they twice attempted to align themselves with Nazi Germany. It's all on the record. He shows you an example of a document, but you can look this up in Wikipedia, even once with Stalin. And that, and as one of the points he makes, this is even after the beginning of the final solution. They are openly trying to align themselves with the very thing they claim they started the state to protect themselves from. That's because it's not about what you're told it's about. The Lehigh continued to seek to ally with Nazi Germany even after the final solution had begun. This is Haaretz. It's not as you, weird as you may think when you realize that Zionism is another side of that coin, and it is not about Judaism. As Torah Judaism and different groups around the world, Orthodox Jews would love you to hear, they are using Judaism to manipulate you, anybody who's paying attention, but specifically Jews. And anything that gets called out about Zionism gets redirected towards Jews at large, and they act like that's everybody else doing that. No, that's Zionism. There are certainly racists that exist, but they're the ones putting these people in, in harm's way, acting like they're keeping them safe. Martin uh, Kanoki points out, you can't make this up. Leaders of far-right Swedish party with neo-Nazi roots until now boycotted Israeli officials as a matter of policy. They met the Israeli minister in charge of, quote, combating anti-Semitism in the Knesset. Quote, it says, it is clear that our parties and our nations share common values. You don't say. that. This is exactly the point. Now, is this because suddenly things have changed? Or is it because that it's always been something they kind of kept more quiet that's now become very, very on the surface? Sort of like the Azov movement being the prominent government of Ukraine. We can all see it, but they just say, no, it's not. They're openly aligning themselves with neo-Nazi groups all over the place. I find that kind of hard to miss. Here's Dan Cohen also pointing something out. Netanyahu, this is on the 30th of January, appeared at the Benai David pre-army yeshiva where Zionist rabbis openly praise Hitler and call for enslaving Arabs. He promised the Gaza genocide will end in absolute victory. Again, Times of Israel. Here's the person he was meeting, or the group anyway, and that's the guy right there. Here it is. Embracing racism, rabbis at pre-army yeshiva laud Hitler. How does that even logically make sense? It's because what you're told is not the full picture. And just, just for just because that's exactly what I was talking about, which I'm, I like different opinions, he uh, po points out in the chat, the Catholic Church also tried to align themselves with Nazis, which wouldn't surprise me, right? I think this is the important part about this. We have to realize that there are manipulators out there. And it doesn't, it, read, don't read it as every Zionist and because of them, every Jew is like that. Or in this case, every Christian is a Nazi. It shows you that the power structure, that's what I mean about the Zionists manipulating it all, are actually not what they pretend to be. 
It's about power. And I think that's very clear. Now, here's a really alarming point that shows you the true nature of the people we're fighting. I mean, Zionist in this case, Eli David being the example. He posted this on the 1st of February. An image of a, of a Palestinian as a rat holding a sign saying we are winning with dead bodies and destruction everywhere. I mean, I just can't understand. I mean, the only thing that makes sense to me is that he is flaunting the idea that he can get away with that. Using the very same thing that if you've showed a, an Israeli, a Zionist, as a rat, you know exactly what that would be called. It would be called something from the Nazis. It would be racist, anti-Semitism. It would be blood libel. It'd be all the same things. Now, why isn't the same in reverse? As I said, Eli, you are everything you pretend you are fighting. What can be more pathetic than that? Here is what Janice pointed out in response. Oh, look at that. Old Nazi propaganda that looks very similar to what you're doing. Kind of hard to miss the overlap. At the very least, it's hypocrisy. Right? Sort of like them saying, and Elon Musk backing it up, that if you say from the river to the sea, you're a racist and you want genocide. But when we say it, it's because it's right. They don't do anything. Netanyahu publicly put that out, saying from the river to the sea will be all of Israel. Eli David post a picture of an Israeli flag over all of the Gaza Strip, saying from the river to the sea. They're, they're, they're laughing at you. They know they're getting away with that. Right? And it's the same point anywhere. It's constant. There's a, these, these double standards are everywhere throughout this conversation. And again, that's why people are waking up. Mohammed Safa points out all 27 EU leaders, as we just pointed out, unanimously agreed to 50 billion euros in support for Ukraine. That's euros, right? I think so. Zero for Palestine. Plus defunding UNRWA while they're starving. Obvious double standard. He says, I never want to hear any Western leader ever talk about human rights. Think about that. So they're starving to death. It doesn't matter whether you're fighting Hamas or whatever your narrative is. You know they're starving to death. Everybody's talking about it. And you give nothing while giving $50 billion to an obvious criminal entity? <laughs> it's just so crazy. Arnab Batrand cites the Lemkin Institute, which don't forget, Israel cited Lemkin in a point trying to make it seem like they were on the right side of history. The institute named after Lemkin for genocide prevention the def it says the defunding of UNRWA represents a shift by several countries from potential complicity in genocide to direct involvement. You're damn right. As a reminder, the countries that defunded UNRWA so far, United States, Germany, Australia, Austria, Canada, Estonia, Finland, France, Iceland, Italy, Japan, the Netherlands, Romania, Switzerland, and the United Kingdom. Here's an example of a prominent one that did not. Belgium cut funding to, or, or chose not to cut funding to UNRWA. In a very principled stance, whether you disagree with it or not, the next day, Israel bombed the Belgian Agency for Development in Gaza. This is how transparent this is. This is what shows you that we are fighting the bad, like the worst of the worst. And like, now, I don't mean even because they do the worst things in the world. You could argue that. I mean because they have the power to get away with everything. The Israel has the, has the, they feel and clearly are right to some degree that they can publicly bomb the Belgian Agency for Development in Gaza the day after Belgium speaks up and says, we're not going to defund UNRWA. They bomb them. Oh, and Hamas was there. Okay. I just, it's just so on the surface. Talk about war crimes. I mean, this is war crimes upon war crimes. You are literally bombing foreign countries' outlets or I guess installations 
because you don't like their politics and they know they can get away with it. It's just so crazy. Now, Israel, the actual Israel account, first of all, Times of Israel acknowledges that UNRWA, while they're trying to wage a campaign to get you all to think they're terrible, wins is nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Just think about how divided that is, how hilarious. And look, I think we all can see that like things like the Nobel Peace Prize, you know, the United Nations body have almost always been leveraged against you. They've been used in the for the narrative, for the for the main agenda, whatever you think that may be. I think very clearly these groups are, you know, part of the system. But nonetheless, you're seeing stuff like this, which shows you how broken this is, which still to me speaks to the fact that Israel is the one shooting themselves in the foot with this whole thing, that they went immediately to genocide. And even the people that would have normally supported them couldn't go along with it because it's that obvious, that belligerent, that disgusting, not because they care, but because they need to control your your perception of what they are. That's why CNN would suddenly go, oh, they're doing bad things, but then completely hide what else is happening. So the Nobel Peace Prize, they're nominated for it while Israel's doing everything in its power to tell you that they're Hamas terrorist Nazis. Israel, the main account of Israel's government, 1.5 million followers, says they wanted not to nominate bin Laden, but he wasn't available. <laughs> Maybe you forgot that you guys created, funded, and armed bin Laden and that it was an asset that you guys worked with right up until you turned, you you know, made him the bad guy. And I'm not saying he's a good guy. What I'm saying is he was an asset that even the Washington Post called a warrior of peace until he then was the boogeyman of the world. Sort of like Saddam Hussein. And as I always point out, how obvious it is that in this case, Israel and the U.S. seem to always work with the worst of the worst before they become the worst of the worst. Isn't that interesting? But it shows you how desperate they are. This is the like this is like the U.S. government account coming out and making a statement. Was there? It's 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 embarrassing. It's petty. It shows you that they're worried. And here, which, oh, you know, I forgot I was going to go through this more in depth. I need to go back through this and really go through this, seeing as how we're pretty long today. I'm going to point at it and I'll come back to it. But this is from uh, uh, Doctors Without Borders. The last medics providing health care amidst death and destruction in Gaza. The sad reality of this is just to show you that these people are desperate. They are in here trying to save people with no anesthetic, no, it might, like here, just give a couple examples. This is what they wrote on the wall at one of these hospitals, Alawada Hospital. Whoever stays until the end will tell the story. We did what we could. Remember us. They're dying. They're being shot and sniped and starved, and and they're and they're in there fighting for other people. It's it's just so sad. And the, this is one of these huge organizations, like anything we've talked about in the past, UN, Oxfam, Human Rights Watch, and they're all telling you what's going on. At least as I see it. And this article is about the fact that they're do, they are doing what they can while they know they're trying to be killed, while they know they're being starved, while they know that they're trying to stop everything they need to save the people that the government otherwise claims are trying to protect. It's so sad. Now, actually, I'll save both these for later just to wrap up, but this is a, a video I'll go over in, in the next show, uh, possibly tomorrow. An Israeli television crew was escorted into an Israeli detention camp where they're housing all these children they're kidnapping, where tens of Palestinians from Gaza were imprisoned. <clears throat> the TV report documents the poor conditions of these camps, whose location remains classified. It exposes the inhumane treatment of the prisoners and the inadequate communi- uh, communal cells. The Israeli media outlets initially believed that these prisoners were combatants, but many of them, like others released later, were proven to be innocent civilians. Like This is an Israeli outlet showing you how they're being treated. They just don't care. Now, I, I, this is something that I sh- was shared with me by um, 
De, uh, Desmodos, the account we, we've shared recently. Now, I, I have an article about it now, but I wanted to share with you what she said to me, and this is crazy. So she says she had to remove, uh, or let me see if I can grab it, actually. I can forget what it was now. I'll, I'll, I'll try to find it, put it in the show notes. Here, let me do this, actually. It pops up. That's what it was. Damn. Well, I'll have to find it. We've been, she's been, she's been doing, she's just an average person fighting back, trying to spread information. I think she'd be doing a good job. She says, I had, I had to remove it. Okay. The point was she posted information about dead children in the Northern area that they've pulled away from. And we recently talked about this the other day, showing to people that journalists that have gone through there are now documenting the remains of dead children's bodies and people's arms that look like they've been bound that have been killed. Right, this is, and th- we know this is happening. It's all over. She posted this, and it got censored. She had to remove it. She said to get her account unlocked. And the point is, she, there's been she she has posted more graphic images. There's clearly something they're trying to cover up. She says it was a post about the horrors the Palestinians witnessed as they returned to the north of Gaza. Children, skeletons, and they had been blindfolded, their hands bound. Israeli military executed them. Even Haaretz has covered these executions. It says, I've never witnessed such barbarity and evilness in the open, the open in front of our eyes. I won't look away as they want us to get used to seeing this as normal. If they can get away with this in the Gaza, any one of us can become Gaza. Here, here. Here is an article about it. Somebody Actually, Marshall sent me this right before we went live, so I'm going to have a chance to go through it. February 1st. I think I'll go through this again as well with the other stuff. We, I'll make sure this gets the next show. Palestinians demand international inquiry after a mass grave found in Gaza. Bodies of Palestinian detainees who were handcuffed, blindfolded, discovered in plastic bags near the Gaza school. Guys, this is the most obvious genocide we've ever seen. It's so very clear what's going on. They're ex- they're executing people in the streets. I mean, th- this is what they tried to make it out to be, what Russia was doing in Ukraine. When in fact, it was Ukrainians doing this to other Ukrainians. This is obvious. And here are some of the images they found that they don't want you to see on Twitter. Horrifying, man. I'm going to end with this clip from uh, Miko Paled speaking on the astounding hypocrisy and willful ignorance surrounding the Palestinian genocide and one that did not begin after October 7th, but has been going on for 75 years. Thank you for tuning in, guys. I know this stuff is can be, can be hard. You know, trust me, I know more than anybody, more than most, I should say. Why, that's hard to cover this stuff day after day, to see this stuff. And I know I've, I've had people reach out about how, how they need a break, you know, because it's getting hard. There's just so much negativity and so many bad things. And I, I get it. You know, there's no shame in taking a break from this. I myself need to break away sometimes. But I want to stress again how important it is that, that this is not what we're witnessing is, you know, the, cla- the the cliche kind of darkest before the dawn. I really believe that. It's such a positive thing to see average people for the first time in my lifetime being able to see through the kind of things they're lying about. And that is, it's, it's the cornered animal, right? They are desperate to stop that. They will destabilize. They will do anything to get you to look anywhere else. But I just think it's important that we see the positive in that as much as it's hard and it's a dark situation. But as always, to recognize that just because we don't fixate on it in this show, because this show is really about trying to highlight the problem so we know what to solve. But recognize there are plenty of people out there doing positive things, helping people, 
I mean, there are people that are fighting to help the Palestinians right now. I mean, which is what we're doing to it. I mean, like, but direct. Sending, helping families get food. The point is there are so many people out there doing good, fighting for good at their own expense. Not your government. None of them, as far as I can tell. But they're everywhere. Do not lose sight of the positive, the the human side of all this. That's what they're desperately trying to remove from you with the two-party paradigm, transhumanism, your humanity. They can't take that away from you. Not right now. Not not without force. And I mean that in like the long term. I shouldn't have even said that. Like transhumanism. Uh, but in general, they, they cannot take, take your humanity from you. So stand up and show that and recognize what we can do. We're doing it right now. There's a lot more. We can get out. And people always, they fail to recognize that just because they see me here, that, that they don't know what else we're doing. I don't often broadcast what I do outside of the show I, for, for security, personal reasons. But there's a lot you can do. Like I said, go out and talk to people. Go out and have a protest. Go out and talk to people on the street. Hand out flyers. Right? Go out and have a a, a movie screening. Go show Abby Martin's documentary. War. Uh, uh, um, I'm blanking on all of a sudden. Give me in the chat. Remind me what uh, Abby Martin's documentary name is. I can't believe I forgot that. It, Gaza fights for freedom. A really important one. My point though is that there are there's a lot of good being done. You could be a part of that. You are a part of that. Don't lose sight of that. Thank you for being here today. If you'd like to support us, as always, there's a lot of ways to do so down below. I have to add PayShoot to the, for the links down there, but PayShoot's one of the ones we mentioned in the beginning of the show. It's a new BitChute support platform. But, you know, like I keep saying, guys, the more this goes forward, the more we get attacked, the more, you know, like I said, there's multiple lawsuits being waged against us right now for frivolous, ridiculous things that I have to pay to fight because I'm never going to give in. I just, I'm going to flee the country before I give them a dollar. That's I just can't let them win. But my point is that we will continue to need your support and we'd like to keep going. And, you know, it's important that we raise that. And as somebody recently pointed out to me, like it's not, I, you know, I, I am trying to grow. I think that's important, but we need to focus just on maintaining what we're doing too at the, at the moment. And to do that, we need your continued support. So down below, you could sign up for $1 a month on recurring. Never look at it again. That's all I ask. But most importantly, just share the work. If not only, just share the work. That's the most important thing. Thank you for tuning in, guys. You inspire me every day. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. But this is the first time I've ever heard that there's a need to condemn. And say, yes, but of course they're suffering, but first we need to condemn. Are we out of our minds? Condemning the resistance of people who are being oppressed and killed, subjected to genocide for 75 years? Are we out of our minds? Are we out of our minds? Are we outside of our minds? When we let this ridiculous narrative take hold and spread and then participate in it, nodding our heads like sheep. Oh, and by the way, yes, there is a genocide going on and it's terrible. But first we have to condemn the Palestinians who dare to stand up. Palestinians who have shown an ability to sacrifice and amounts of courage that, as far as I can remember, are unprecedented facing this horrific, horrific oppression.
But what are we really talking about? Again, we've heard lists and lists and lists of crimes committed by the state of Israel. Lists and lists of crimes against humanity. And there's always seems to me like there's a little bit of a sense of surprise, a little bit of shock, a little bit as though this was somehow not predictable. What we are seeing now in Gaza was not only predictable, it was preventable. And we did not prevent it. The previous massacre in Gaza was predictable too, and that was not prevented. And we can go on and on and on and on back 75 years. Because what could possibly be expected from an apartheid regime established after a massive campaign, open massive campaign of ethnic cleansing, massacres, and the beginning of a genocide that is still going on today? What could possibly be expected? That was the founding moment of the state of Israel. Close to a million people forced out of their land. God knows how many were massacred. And that was the beginning. That was, 19, that was 1948. So now we're shocked. All these lists and lists and lists and lists. There's nothing new about them. Except this time the numbers are higher. This time the numbers are, you know, even by Israeli standards, it is shocking. But this was predictable and this was preventable. And every time something happens, we rise, we protest, we demand, and we forget. Instead of standing there and demanding an end, an absolute end to the oppression and the killing of Palestinians, an end to it, not a ceasefire to it, an end to it, a political solution that will guarantee the lives, the security, the safety of Palestinians, that has never been discussed. I don't recall it ever being discussed that guarantees need to be put in place. Guarantees need to be put in place for the life and security and the safety of Palestinians because Palestinians have been living in a state of terror for 75 years. Not just now, but for 75 years living in a state of terror, whether they're in the West Bank, whether they're in the Gaza Strip, whether they're citizens of the state of Israel or so-called citizens. They have been living in a state of terror, and they still do today. Granted, the level of terror has increased since October the 7th. 